Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Excelsior. I, Gene Garvin, will be sitting and having a very deep, rich, and fruitful and critical conversation. <laughs> uh, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Did you hear that? Oh, All yeah, right, that's pretty good. good. Why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Let's do that. Oh, like that's a good joke. <laughs> that's a kid's joke. <laughs> well, hi. I'm here hanging out with Jean. Oh, hi. How, hi. Are we on? We're on. Oh, my God. We're on. It's hi. so live, too. It's, so you better watch out. Oh, we're really? live. Like, literally live? No, like, not really. Real time? Okay. It's recorded. Uh, right. <laughs> I just, no pressure because it's recorded. So. Right. But you still can't go back and edit if I say bad things, right? I can, yeah. Will I? That's I a don't problem. Know. Then. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to just adjust you a little bit, so that way we can kind of... Okay, cool. Yeah, so... All right, is fully this, adjusted. Is this comfortable for you? Okay. Okay. I'm very comfortable. Thank cool. you very much. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the Studes. I, hey, I feel oh. welcome. It's been fantastic. I got my coffee. Yeah. Got the doggy. I know. Isn't it kind of homely-like? Homely yeah, I feel embraced. I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, Alexa, stop. We'll turn the music off. We do have some background noise, but... That's okay. We'll That's filler. It's filler, yeah. Um, so Jean is here, and I actually found out. So you originally, I was excited about a show that you're having mm -hmm. in Minneapolis for your photography. Mm -hmm. um, but I just found out that you're a model, too. <laughs> <laughs> See, I should have mentioned that after we got done doing this. Yeah, so that, that's a former life, as I told that's you. A, I know. I mean, I just... You're going to make me talk about I that, feel, Yeah, I feel like I'm... <laughs> surrounded by fame right now stop i am stop. i told you that before i feel Clever. like you're very famous and now now right. the pressure's on i know and now the pressure is on <laughs> okay so let's uh let's start let's talk about your show okay um it's uh, a photo exhibit and it's yeah. not my show um it's put together by the university of minnesota and a few other select uh wise people and it's called documenting a reckoning the death of george floyd the murder of george floyd i should say it correctly mm -hmm. um it's been uh, uh showcasing at the university for the past few months since november but this april april 1st to be exact um it is moving to the mill city museum okay. uh, and it will be there until the the anniversary of george floyd's death yeah uh, i believe that's may 14th yeah. i'm not mistaken I believe it's May 14th. Okay. So um, uh, I will be on a panel speaking on uh, April 1st, mm -hmm. 6 p.m. to 9. It's actually free, but you do have to RSVP. Um, I guess you can check with the Mill City Museum okay. and uh, you know RSVP through that. But uh, myself and two to three other photographers, I believe, have been chosen to speak. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I'm super excited. Um, cool. And it's for something that... Uh, is very powerful and, and resonant, obviously, in Minneapolis, but throughout the country. So I'm right. glad to be a part of that. Right. That is, that is um, great that you're going to be a part of it, too. I've seen your photos, and they're amazing. Oh, thank you. They're great. Yeah, I come here every day. All kind of flattery. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, you were saying something about um, Rodney King, too, right? Yes. <clears throat> so um, it's... It, <sighs> It's interesting how this has come full circle for me. I mean, every mm -hmm. photographer, and speaking with the photographers connected to this, a lot of photographers, uh, 
I, I need I need to start at the beginning. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I believe about 500 photographers submitted work wow. to this exhibit, and um, again, very honored to been to have been selected. Obviously, mm -hmm. 500 artists work is not in this exhibit so uh i guess i'm very flattered yeah but it has come full circle for me i'm uh, a native of los angeles california and uh though i was living in europe at the time when rodney king was beat mm -hmm. uh, i came back to southern california right before like days before the mm -hmm. verdict um and i think having a fresh eye um not being a part of the court process was his civil rights violated and they were really down the weeds about that and you can get sucked into that and start parsing that kind of stuff and I, I, I wasn't affected by that so when I arrived I was just looking at the fact that there was eight guys tasing and hitting on beating on a guy yeah and then there were three or four other cops about 15 yards away hanging out yeah that looks like a beating in the dark yeah, it does. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I I, I understand um, the response mm -hmm. that happened. It was it was hard. It was mm -hmm. hard to process that information. So um, my I'm the son of a preacher man. You so are. I am. Yeah. That's, Whoa! That's, I'm learning so much. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, a friend of mine, former friend of mine, I haven't seen him in years called me right when the verdict happened and said, hey, I need to come get you mm -hmm. and we need to go to your dad's church just to kind of get out of the craziness, yeah. right? So about half hour later, he came to my house. Um, but while he was on the way, I'm watching the television and that's when Florence and Normandy had started where Reginald Denny's truck, he, when he got pulled out and got beat and yeah. they were starting to loot. I'm watching this you know, unravel on yeah. TV before he got to my house. So... When he got there, we left, and we had to drive through a part of Los Angeles that's actually quite near to that epicenter. Yeah. And as we approached, the, you know, got halfway to the freeway, we were engulfed in people wow. outside protesting, raised fists. It was, I personally have never seen anything like that before. Wow. We were so involved in it, just emotionally. Mm. That by we we're going interestingly we we're going down the street called Century Boulevard, right? Mm -hmm. Just in kind of south central Los Angeles, goes through Inglewood and the whole thing, and yeah. that street crosses Normandy. Mm -hmm. And by the time we got to Normandy, we we're so engulfed in it mm -hmm. that my friend said, "I, I got to make a left here on Normandy," and I said, "Yeah, you do." So we drove up to Florence and Normandy, literally right at the epicenter of it, an hour into the into wow. the riots um and needless to say we never made it to my dad's church that night <laughs> we drove around all wow. we never got out of the car yeah really okay uh we certainly weren't looting or doing anything illegal sure. but we drove around and i visually absorbed mm -hmm. that whole evening and it was like third world you know yeah um and as we spoke about before if mm -hmm. i if i could go back mm -hmm. and digitally print out what I saw. <laughs> what you saw, yeah. yeah. If, I could, if I had a camera Get to capture it. some of that. Yeah. And you're talking in your hand to do that, yeah. Yeah, uh, you're talking a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, camera phones didn't exist. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. even know if the internet really was existing then. You know, I think right. that was, the Rodney King beating was captured on a camcorder, right? Yeah. So it was a long time ago. So, um, so I never forgot that. Right. So when this happened uh, with George Floyd, now as a photographer, mm -hmm. now with the access we have, 
um, I, I, I kind of knew I had to document it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, even a photographer friend of mine from Los Angeles, who I respect immensely, he's a rock and roll photographer, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. He called me and goes, Dude, you got to get out there, dude, shoot some of this stuff, man. Yeah. You know, and I was like, Yeah, yeah that, was, that was actually the permission I needed because I was thinking, ah, I think I need to go and. Yeah. And document this. And mm-hmm. so he was saying it. So I packed up my, my stuff and, and I went to the third precinct first. And Target was being looted. The, um, uh, the uh, was that the, the auto shop? Those oh, right there. Yeah, AutoZone. Yeah, AutoZone. Yeah. AutoZone was still standing. Um, yeah. a lot, none of that stuff had fully been burned down yet. Um, so I just went in the parking lot and was. Mm-hmm trying to get comfortable and get into a, okay what am I going to shoot how am I going to capture this and I didn't really shoot anything I shot some people coming out of yeah. the target you know just like really hard to watch but I, I walked over to um, the third precinct across the street mm-hmm. and that's where okay you had a line of riot cops yeah. on the other side of the fence they had built up in the barricade to protect the precinct and it was surrounded by people protesting mm-hmm. and every now and again Someone would throw a water bottle at the police, and the police would point, and the guy with the tear gas would, boof, shoot that off. So I just put myself against the barricade right in front of the police station where they were and was shooting the crowd and then turning around and shooting the cops and back and forth, and that's kind of how I got into my my rhythm. And then, you know, I noticed. I'm like, you know, there's tear gas. There's flash grenades going off above my head. Yeah. They're very angry people there's mm-hmm. cops dressed like you know paratroopers you know and a part of me felt like that was some war zone oh right? it totally was and you could feel you could feel like the heat of it like yeah at some points i knew i had to kind of get out of the area because it yeah. would get really palpable mm-hmm. right and, you, and it's interesting how you can feel it. You, you gauge. Know? You sh- yeah. I mean, we're all, yeah, you know. Like where you somebody might yeah. do something that, that is not going to yeah. be really good. Yeah. So I, um, I kind of really did that. You got to toes during that. Y- eyes on the swivel. Not only are you watching what the cops are doing with the tear gas and flash grenades, but I got camera equipment. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's clearly lawlessness. Mm-hmm. Like, someone going to really, a cop, one of these cops going to really stop a guy from stealing my camera yeah, equipment no, from me? Absolutely no, absolutely not. <laughs> so there's that, right? Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you want to capture these moments that um, you have access to that a lot of photojournalists, yeah. a lot of photographers uh, just either would be too afraid, and that's understandable, mm-hmm. or they don't have access. And I have, to, I have to say this as a black man, mm-hmm. um, that night in 1992 during the Rodney King riots and those two days I spent out in the streets during the day, in the morning, in the afternoon, at night shooting, mm-hmm. there was a level of uh, safety. It's probably not the right word, but I, did, I felt like, okay, I wouldn't get attacked as much. Sure. You know, I had mm-hmm. a level of access maybe that others didn't, and I took full advantage of it with sure. my with my uh, with 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 the time that I was shooting. Yeah. Um, but after that exchange with the police and the and the the crowd in front of the precinct, the precinct I think burned down two days later. Mm-hmm. It only lasted two more days, but that was it for me. I was shooting and I wasn't leaving, and I shot until two a.m. Yeah. Came back the next morning at eight. 
So shooting what I thought would be the residuals of it and smoke and everything, but it continued. So I'm like, whoa. And it went three, four days. Yeah, it and, was a uh, long time. <laughs> it was. And I, I ended up um, with about 8,000 images, wow. which really wasn't a lot compared to the time I spent out there. Well, for three days and 8,000 images as a photographer, that's it's pretty good. <laughs> you did good. Well, I was trying to be selective. I could probably, yeah. uh, another four grand could have easily been shot if I just was yeah. going for it. But I, I was trying to be somewhat selective. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, um, it was revealing how, I actually, I want to say something else, actually. I think mm-hmm. uh, this needs to be pointed out. <clears throat> and if I'm going to say this when I'm on the panel on the first, I think it it certainly needs to be communicated. Being in the, both of those experiences, mm-hmm. there's been progress. Um, in 1992, it was nothing but people people of color rioting mm-hmm. or uprising yeah. and protesting. This was different. Yeah. This was uh, everybody. Yeah. It was literally everybody, and it was it was very. Uh, I believe I'm speaking for most black people it was very obvious to us that we had um, a collective uh, protest ha- uprising happening and it made it more yeah. legitimized. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that uh, visual um, visual support mm-hmm. is extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just now at you know uh, now compared to 1992. yeah <clears throat> excuse me, I think that, Visuals have always uh, helped move the needle to change. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, you can go all the way back to Emmett Till. Emmett Till, uh, his his casket, because uh, you know, it was his mother's request. She wanted his casket to be at the viewing to be open, even mm-hmm. though he had been brutally murdered. She wanted everyone to see. See it. Yeah. And that literally was the beginning of the civil rights movement. It was the whole world had to react to that. Well, it kind of brings up the point of, like, with George Floyd, with all of the technology, that, like, visual of actually what happened Mm -hmm. spread across the world. And people were pissed, (laughs) you know, like, to to see it and hear about it are, like, two different things. Exactly. And just think about if that really brave little girl had not sat for nine plus minutes capturing that on her cell phone. Yeah. Right? It's so crazy. I'm going to tell you a crazy story I don't think I mentioned to you. Uh, the day, did I mention this, this to you? The oh. day that, that he was murdered? Mm-mm. Okay, so I used to live on Park Avenue, mm-hmm. right? And uh, uh, on Park Avenue, there was this apartment building uh, right across the street. Mm-hmm. And this pizza delivery guy, by the way, that was a very bright, pretty day, the day yeah, he was murdered. It was. <laughs> you know? um, and I'm in the front yard being supportive of my girlfriend's gardening at the time. I wasn't gardening, but I was just being there for support, I yeah. guess. And uh, across the street was a pizza delivery guy in a Prius. And he got out of the car and went to the apartment building's buzzer system or front gate to get in to deliver the pizza. Yeah. When he got to the door, someone hopped in this Prius. And tried to steal it. What? And you and the only reason we knew is because the guy started yelling, "You can't steal it! You can't start it!" Because I guess Priuses you the, have to the do. The key fob is on them. Yeah, it's yeah. something you have to do. Well, he ran in front of the car, and I guess the guy had an extra fee, key fob because the guy started the car and drove off, and almost ran the guy over. Oh. Right. So, uh, obviously, the 
delivery guy calls the cops. Mm -hmm. And 20 minutes later, cops come. Mm -hmm. And I told my girlfriend at the time that, hey, I didn't see the guy's face, but I saw it happen. So I'm going to go across the street and tell the cops, mm -hmm. hey, I, I witnessed that. This happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got across to the cops, it was two officers, mm -hmm. shorter Asian man and a tall, lanky white guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to the Asian officer, and, um, and I noticed that the other officer, he's talking to the delivery guy, but he's looking at me, and I just, I never forgot his look. I was like, wow, he's looking at me like I stole the guy's car, right? He just what? looked really hot, angry, this yeah. cop, you know, and a very serious, searing look at me, you know? And a few days later, when this tape comes out, well, who's the guy on George Floyd's neck? Chauvin. That, that was Chauvin. Are you serious? I met Chauvin about four hours before he did that to George Floyd. What? And he was already on a space. You could see it. I, I came back across the street and I was like, this cop was looking at me. I told my son and my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, this cop? I didn't even talk to the guy because he freaked me out. He was looking at me so hardcore. He was just looking at me like I did something. I was coming over to be a witness. And about an hour later, one of the cops, I believe it was Tao, he called me and goes, hey, would you mind being a witness if we catch the guy? And I said, yeah, absolutely, sure. But I never forgot that look. Whoa. And it was amazing because, uh, amazing, it was tragic, but crazy when I saw him because he's looking right at the camera. And guess what he's doing? He's got his hand in his pocket. He's comfortable. No, when he's on George Floyd's neck. Yeah, I saw it. He's I know. super comfortable. I'm just, I'm just blown away that you had this experience. I'm still like, <laughs> I gotta like, I can't believe that. That's in, that's crazy. Yep, yep. That's it a, I, that's a great story to share when on April 1st that you, yeah. I will, I will. I think that it's, it, it's important in a couple that. ways. It's important because, uh, for one, you know. Um, People talk about defunding the police and all that business. Okay, you yeah. know, let's 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 slow down here. What we need is let's fund the police. Let's get proper training. Let's get health and psychological evaluations on them. Yeah. Let's let's also have police officers that a percentage of the police department should be people from that community who yes. are born and raised in yes. that community mm -hmm. who actually care about that community. I agree. You know, if you have a bunch of cops working in Minneapolis. That are from Edina. Yeah, it doesn't, no, it's not their community. It's, it's not a their community. Totally different. Mindset. Perfectly said. It's not their community. Yeah. So, why would they care? Especially when it's it's got some some issues. Right. You know. Um, I just can't believe that a person could have that much hate or like power. Like I don't, I don't, I can't even figure out like why he would act. Because that way. the police system is broken. Mm -hmm. He he was empowered to feel that way, mm -hmm. and no one checked him. For, and the reason I brought up his hand in his pocket is because it, and people were telling him, yelling at him, hey, you're on his neck, you're on his neck, and he's not changing. He did not he, care. Yeah. I saw that. that it, Why does I he, just, that's the question. Why didn't he care? Because he's never had to care. Yeah. He's done that before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he may not have killed someone, right. but he's certainly done that before. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was obvious. He's too comfortable. Yeah. Right? Way so, too comfortable. Like, he has more power than other people around him he just wants I felt like seeing that I felt like he wanted to prove to people that he didn't have to listen to other people on the street even I think like, that's no, exactly I right it's exactly right yeah like, and, and so you? that's the problem that um I mean, these are human beings are fallible right mm -hmm. and I get that I give room for that mm -hmm. the police departments have to have something in place that uh, I don't know if it's psychological mm -hmm. evaluations or support group. It's something. I don't know. I don't have the answers. But something right. needs to be addressing that because 
We can fund them with more weapons and more cars and more tactical gear, which I yeah. think has been overdone. Mm -hmm. But nothing's really kind of dealing with the head. Right. You know, and, mm -hmm. and, and that's a hard job. That's a hard job. It's a scary job. And I'm sure a lot of them are walking around with PTSD yeah. and unhealthy. Yeah. And these are the people who are pulling us over. <laughs> you know? like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh. um, but, you know, back to it being a visual, uh, uh, about visuals making change. Yeah, yeah. You have all the way from Emmett Till, as I, I mentioned before, but Rodney King, um, that was because of a visual capture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. George Floyd's because of a visual capture. Mm -hmm. All, and then, you know, between, uh, you know, Philando Castile, did I say his name right? I think so. Alondra Castillo. Forgive me, I'm not a Minneapolis native. Yes. Um, and, and George Floyd, you yes. have a gap of, what, a year or two, and you have so many African-American, especially men and women, some women too, who've been killed by police unlawfully, and it was captured because of, you know, other people's phones or right. now the cams on, on police officers. So I believe without the visuals, mm -hmm. Because frankly, this is not new. Mm -mm. No, you know? no. <laughs> <laughs> this has been going it's on for a long time. It's new for us to see it right. so easily. Yeah. And like Facebook Lives, like, oh my gosh. It's like, it's crazy. And I think too, just um, as a photographer, um, like photos and images are so much more powerful than just words. Because mm -hmm. you can hear words, oh, I'm sure there's something that was, you know, convoluted or, you know, kind of mixed messages that, oh, I bet that person was doing something bad. But when you see it, you're like, oh, no, that's not okay. Well, and also seeing it, um, if someone writes it, mm -hmm. someone speaks to it, mm -hmm. that's one person, that's one voice, that's one opinion. All it takes is one, you know, contrary opinion or written word. And, okay, that's a wash now. Yeah. And you have a debate about that, right? Yeah. Uh, when something is captured is stark. I mean, that's stark. This guy's on this guy's neck, and he's saying, I can't breathe. And you watch the life go out of this guy. Well, what other conversation or argument can you make about that? That is literally a murder. I mean, right. you, we watch the guy die. Right. There's no, yeah. It's, By a government it's official. Straightforward. Right. Yeah. You can't argue that. So, that, to your point, visuals are much more powerful than words. I mean, they, yeah. you know, the words, yeah, words are great and they're necessary yeah. and I love mm -hmm. them. But, um, but it's something to be said about a visual capture of something. Yeah. It can't be, it can't be really manipulated, you know, yeah. especially if it's striking a chord, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, it gets it gets wild in here at night. Everybody's starting to play music. That's okay. I, I actually like it. It, it. Yeah, I think it's kind of nice background sounds. Yeah, it is. It's it's calming. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but yeah, so you you did photography, um, but uh, you started doing photography later on. So like during Rodney King, you actually weren't as into photography as you are now. Is that correct? I've always been into visuals, but mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I didn't think I'd be a photographer at that time. I mean, yeah. you're talking 1992, and I was modeling at yeah, the time. Yeah, I was going to say, you I just, were on yeah, the other side of the camera during the that camera. time. I just gotten back from Europe, and yeah. my career hadn't even taken off yet, you know, wow. and then it did. And, I mean, yeah, I look back in hindsight, it's a natural transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But during that time, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I mean, I just always just, you know, 
Me and that friend that night in 1992 were driving down Crenshaw Boulevard and we got caught at a light. And I remember looking at a liquor store, right, on the inside of it. I could see it from the car. Mm-hmm. And through the doors, all the way in the back, I could see. It was night. But the reason I, it caught my eyes is because a little flicker of light was in the back of this, this liquor store. And I could see a guy squatted down starting a fire. Wow. And I thought, I've always thought about that image. Wow. And I thought, you God, could have if, just captured if I could have captured that, that. But it's in your head. Can you draw it? Are you a good drawer? <laughs> I can make a film and have it reenacted. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Visual thinking, I was thinking big, you know. Yeah, no, that would be great. I, oh, that would be cool. Yeah, it was uh, powerful and terrifying and tragic and understood. All the, all the feels. Yeah. It was all the feels wow. in that one visual. Oh. And then the one time we did get out of the car... Okay, here's an admission. <laughs> so my, we're driving, and my friend says, mm-hmm. I want some chips and a soda. Yeah. This is how it starts. Okay. So I said, let's just start right there. You go. Oh, no. <laughs> right? The looting. Yes. Yeah. People are looting all over. I'm like, let's just start right, right yeah. there, you know? And we stopped. He got out of the car, yeah. and he went in, and he came out with a bag of Funyuns yeah. and, a, and a Pepsi. Wow. Right? Yeah. Hilarious. And so we're, we're, we're standing on the side of the car because I'm just watching people doing yeah. what they're doing. And this friend of mine yeah. was a former gang member. Right? Hold on. Can I pause the sure. story? Sure. Um, so I'm just getting the feeling that you're, you're kind of a good guy, like being a preacher's son and stuff. Did yeah. it feel really uncomfortable for your friend to go do that? Like, did um, it feel like you were being doing something really bad? Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah. But it was okay because there was a lot more bad stuff happening around me. Right, right. I, just, I was like, you know, yeah. compared to that, you know, yeah, he's throwing right. a chair through a glass right. into a furniture store. <laughs> and we're right. just getting some funyuns. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I actually don't want anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah. you technically you didn't even loot. It was your friend. No, I didn't. Did but yeah. yeah, I was... Yeah, but I was with the guy who looted, right, yeah, technically. Yeah, anyway, um, sorry, I, just, I was just curious. No, yeah. that's a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, at the tender age of, what, 22, mm-hmm. I felt shame for my culture. Um, yeah. I felt um, embarrassment and sadness that we were tearing up our community, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, would I want them to tear up someone else's community? No. I certainly want is tearing up our own community and we right. tend to do that when we riot and I, mm-hmm. I get what I, and I agree with what Martin Luther King said he said the riot is the language of the unheard Yeah. but um, when you tear your own community up what are you really how are you moving the needle you know so that's not something I, I, I think is, is uh, wise but mm-hmm. The reason I brought that up about him taking, my friend taking stuff out of the store, yeah. when he came back to the car, mm-hmm. um, it, this guy's a former gang member, right? And he sure. was hanging out with me because he's like, oh, you go to these cool model parties and <laughs> you're not involved in this stuff. And I need to hang out with you. I'm like, yeah, you know, you need to get out of that. Don't you come hang out with me? Yeah. So he would come and hang out and run with me whenever uh, he wanted to. And I was open to that. Yeah. But he was in a, a gang called Pyrus, which are bloods, mm-hmm. right? So um, he had tattooed on his arm. So he's like a known guy in this gang, right? These two guys run up to us and they say, hey, cuz, we're going over here to the, the, the Crenshaw swap meet, I think they said. We're going to swap meet and get some stuff, right? Yeah. And my friend said, well, check this out, blood. 
we're not going to do that. We're just going to get to come back in the car and drive. When he said blood, I said, oh, my God. Oh, oh my, my God. Gosh. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> but it wasn't about that that night. Yeah, yeah. And I, so, and I always look back at that and go, you cannot tell me black people cannot get along. <laughs> because he had two rival gangs. Yeah. And they're both saying <laughs> it in their language. <laughs> not an issue tonight. Not tonight. Not tonight. Oh, my gosh. Right. Which is kind of kind of beautiful it was beautiful and powerful and powerful yeah and but also it told me that wow. we can be better yeah right? and that's yeah. what i started telling him like look at this now there's your rival gang member you guys would be shooting at each other last week and now you're you know you would go loot together look at that <laughs> <laughs> so we need to stop we need to stop right yeah. um because look how powerful we can be if we if we combine things, but if we were doing it in a positive way. Not tearing up our communities, but doing something positive for our communities. Yeah. We can collectively come together. You can't tell me we cannot do that. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, I, I want to tell a little offshoot story about riots. Because riot, rioting actually has a real, it's a real spot for me. Right? Yeah. Um, real thematic it's chord. Hard. It's hard to see that. A lot of people don't know this, but um, when... Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was killed mm-hmm. in Memphis, Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. He had went down there a few weeks prior to do a march, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I believe it was SNCC, another group, a student group, African-American student group, had coordinated when at the end of that march, it was like a kind of a, uh, a downtown street where it ended at, mm-hmm. that they would create a problem because uh, they were kind of not really down with the you know, peaceful protest stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the end of his march, they decided they were going to break out windows and cause a problem, and yeah. it caused a, a bit, a little bit of a mini riot. Yeah. Well, people pounced on that and said, "Well, see, King can't do it. Look at that. he brings violence, right?" Yeah. So King came down to Memphis again. It's in Memphis, or Birmingham, Alabama. Oh my God, where was he murdered? I have to do my research. Um, in any event, yeah. he. Um, oh no worries. He um, he came down there again. Mm-hmm to do a second march to prove that he could do a peaceful peaceful march. Yeah. And that's when he was killed. So you think about that. You think about the responsibility of having peaceful protests and if that if that group had not done that mm-hmm. and that the march cuz march was peaceful up until the end. Yeah. If they had not done that, he'd have had no reason to come back down so quickly and and do that march. And that's not saying that the guy who killed him wouldn't have found him later at some point. Right. But he would not have been there at that time and would not have been on that balcony that night to be yeah. assassinated. So yeah. that's what I always think about that when I when I when I, I see rioting and like, you know, we should learn from the history of, of rioting that it doesn't produce anything for us but yeah. more problems, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree with that with um, the idea of rioting is I mean, people are angry, and they have the right to be upset. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you can see, I'm on the fence about it. Yeah, yeah I agree but with specifically that. Specifically for me, watching like um, the George Floyd, like that was my neighborhood mm-hmm. for a while, and I like it. It's emotional just thinking about like a lot of people who lived there were didn't have a lot of money. They didn't drive to get their groceries they walked Uh and now they didn't have a target they didn't have you know so it's like okay it's just hard to see you know yeah standish and powder horn those are right and and i love the support from like the outer suburbs and stuff but a lot of those people are coming from out of out of um different areas and suburbs and burning down someone else's community to make a point but not coming back to help 
clean it up, you know? Well, back to the photography, that was one thing that, um, uh, and again, something I didn't mention, but uh, after I had shot everything and it was over, um, <clears throat> I had to sit with it for a while and I kind of looked at the images, but it, it was a lot to take in. Yeah, it's a and lot. So I, I needed a week to decompress. Mm -hmm. But as I started taking chunks and looking at um, all the material, mm -hmm. there was the images. There were there was one thing that kept popping up, and it was a hammer and sickle, the what? Russian emblem of the USSR. Oh, yes, it, oh, and, I, and it kept. It was a theme of it in all my photography, all the images. Seeing a guy with a video camera with a tattooed on his arm. He had actually SS, USSR under the hammer and sickle. I have one image and I'll show it to you of a woman holding a sign that says, We will, we will, we will do something everywhere. There's a, I can't remember the exact words. We, I know she spelled everywhere wrong, we left the H out. But in the corner of the billboard thing, that sign, it has yeah. a hammer and sickle. And I kept seeing people holding things with a hammer and sickle and it was just a, a consistent thing throughout my throughout the images and so you have that you stick a pin in that yeah you have these you know uh white militia groups yeah who i have images of guys you know out there that are wearing helmets and they're wearing you know tactical gear but on the low right why are you wearing all that stuff Right. Who are you? This is this young kid? You look like he's 26. What do you want this stuff for? Right. right. And you know they're, they're not there to protest. No, or they don't, they're there to destroy. Yeah, yeah. They're, to, they're, they're provocateurs. Yeah, right? yeah. And they yeah. were certainly there. I saw cars with plates that <clears throat> were out of state. Yeah. Cars without plates, mm -hmm. you know, uh, driving down the streets, 5, 4, 35 in the morning. Oh, yeah. Like, what's... People, what are you doing? And I, I believe there's like people out there that just flock to um, riots and stuff, too. So when they see an opportunity, and it's, it's kind of creepy. There was one guy who had a mask on, hat pulled down. You could barely see his eyes. He was very covered up, and um, he was standing behind a bar like a little mini barricade, and throwing things at the police. At, at the corner of Lake and uh, was it Minnehaha where the uh, police station is the third, third precinct mm -hmm. and uh, I squatted down kind of you know a few feet away from him and was photographing him and he didn't know it and he looked over at me at one point and I said hey can you pull your thing down you know your mask down he said no he looked away and I said why and and so usually I don't engage yeah. right but it was so clear he, he was just want to be seen. He didn't want to be seen because he was up to no good, you know. Yeah. I have other shots of guys wearing tactical gear where one guy would be looking at me and realizing, oh, we're getting photographed here, yeah. you know. And that again falls. Uh, that's the part of the side of the fence I fall on where I'm like, okay, this is not a good process because you're inviting a lot of yeah. mayhem into the situation yeah. that confuses it, and now. Just in this past moment, we're not talking about, talk, talking about George Floyd. We're not talking about the police. We're not talking right. about improving the situation. We're talking about troublemaking. And looting and, and looting. seeing an opportunity. Right. Like, I, I have a, because I'm a photographer, I do, I did have a lot of friends that are like, come on, we're all going down there and stuff. But I don't know what it was. I personally couldn't see that. Like, I didn't want to be there for it. But I was I came during the day and like saw the cleanup and like all the help and stuff because that's where my like heart is and I'm not against anyone doing that. 
and I know I could have gotten like some great photos, but emotionally I couldn't. <laughs> There's some, but there was some. I did come the last day along mm-hmm. Minnehaha. There was a um, one building. I believe it was a library or a privately owned small business. It yeah. looked like maybe a bookstore library, and I came back and it was completely burned down. And the owners were out front, and they had just thrown a bouquet of flowers into the rubble, you know. And it was beautiful photographs, is, yeah, you know. I love that. But it was tragic, you know. It they is. lost their business. You yeah, know? a lot of small businesses did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it was, yeah, I mean a lot. And my post office got burned down, <laughs> the one that I always use. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, convenience is is paramount. Um, yeah. Yeah, so again, that again, that falls into that category yeah. of it's just weird to think like really you're wise. there every day, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's, it's not there anymore, it got yeah. burned down. Yeah. Okay, crazy, yeah. it's so close to home, it is home, you know, it's well, so wild. I again, I was living on Park Avenue at the time, and it yeah. was around the corner, you know, Park Avenue in Chicago run parallel, and I was uh, maybe about a mile north of Lake Boulevard, yeah, right. So there's a, uh, there's a church's chicken on Chicago, a little bit above, um, above Lake, that got burned down. I could walk there. Mm-hmm. You could smell it, right? Yeah. So I was actually kind of worried. I'm like, oh, no, embers float over here, you know, it gets yeah. too windy, right. you know. Um, it was very, very close, yeah. you know. Um, in Los Angeles in 1992, again, yeah, I could drive right. to Long Beach. I could drive... Orange County and, yeah. you know, go be with family and friends. Yeah. But this was really where I lived. It was like where I, obviously I'm not from here, I moved here, but yeah. this was, I was right in the middle of it. Right. You know? So when I wasn't shooting, I didn't sleep really for a week. I mean, when oh, I wasn't yeah. shooting, I'd be on my stoop until light because there was so much nefarious business going on yeah. that had nothing to do with supporting George Floyd. Right. And I do think that everybody who lives in the area were definitely on edge for that whole time because, I mean, I didn't sleep either. Um, And a lot of people just, um, like a lot of my friends stood outside with hoses and like ready to like put out a fire. It's like, how can you, it's hard to sleep when it's, all of that is happening. Yeah. But, you know, and then to bring it, to bring it back to photography, um, there's, I don't know. I, th- I think that um, capturing those things, even those things, mm-hmm. are, are important mm-hmm. because people see that. Yeah. Right? It's like the guy with the stick wearing all black that was breaking out the windows in the auto zone, and people yeah. were following, like, hey, who are you? you yeah, know? right? If that wasn't captured, he'd just been some guy. Yeah. Right? Someone actually captured that. And I don't know if as a result, if a, as a result if he was captured. Yeah. But I think he may have been. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know whatever happened to that guy. I know, right? Do we know? Um, <laughs> uh, I hope he, you know, is being dealt with by law enforcement. So, right. Um, but, you know, again, I just the main thing is a, a, a man was killed mm-hmm. and it was public. It was injustice. It was not justified. It was um, horrific. It was, yeah. And, you know, um, we've, again, we've seen it over time and again and time and again. And I think that circumstance and the way it was it was documented Mm -hmm. just struck a chord you know um and i don't think that policing and the relationship we have especially people of color Mm -hmm. with the police with police forces in inner cities will ever be the same again um it was not good already Mm -hmm. um but i think this was a pivotal change and if if police 
forces don't do something drastically different, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's going to just be exacerbated. I, and I, I truly believe a percentage of the police force should be from the com- from the community in which that police I department yeah, is located. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's a great thing. It just fix. doesn't make sense why, you know, you're policing a different area. It, right. It, you don't have no emotional connection to it. Right, you exactly. You don't care. Exactly. Yeah. That's why Russians shouldn't try to police Ukrainians. Right. <laughs> it's not right. there. It's not theirs. Yeah. Exactly. Right? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're connected by the land, but it's not yours, man. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. What are Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. So, <laughs> when you know, I've been pulled over by police before. I've been made to get out of the car. I've had cops say, "Announce to the other cop, looking for product, and take a razor blade and cut my seats, mm, pull the stuffing out." You like, serious? Like, I'm like a 18, 19 year old kid I, coming back from the movies. Why are you cutting and now my your car seats up? Are cut up? And now my seats are cut up. Yeah. Ugh. So cops do stuff like that. But guess what? If it had been documented, I'd have recourse. Right. But I didn't. Right. How many times has that happened? That's my whole point is that, mm-hmm. you it know, really capturing changes. things changes things. You, you have, uh, you know, uh, if you can't get it in the legal system, you can get it through public opinion visually. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing. People really, have that's to the be, only thing that's changed things. Yeah, people have to be held accountable for their actions now, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Do you think that um, with everybody having cell phones and able to take video and photo, it can get out of control at some point? I, the pendulum swings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. But it'll come back to center. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's doing more good than bad, personally. Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah by far. Yeah. Not only is it is it done good in terms of holding people accountable, and that's a great thing, mm-hmm. it also has been a good deterrent. Mm-hmm. You know, people, cops know, or people know, if I do this, someone might be filming it somewhere, yeah. and I don't There's know if they're... There's cameras everywhere. There's <laughs> cameras everywhere. So, you know, it, it yeah. does, you know, um, I think it's served as a, a great deterrent. I would love to see a stat. Yeah. See, you know, uh, police uh, brutality, how that's kind of altered since George Floyd, or if it has or not. Yeah. How will we find that data? Yeah, I don't know. The internet? I think <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to keep the serious face with that one, but yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I should answer my own question. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> but, what do, but what do I know? I no, don't yeah. really have... I that think, would be I feel answer. dumb saying that, but like... <laughs> Isn't that all we have for research nowadays? Oh my God! I feel like I'm so scared of that. Like everything on the internet scary. is true, well, yeah, right? Yeah, but that's the part that's scary. Is that now that you have, they have your trust, they can do whatever they want. Oh, we're getting into a whole other thing. I mean, you can go to Twitter <laughs> and Facebook and, and look at those some of those chat threads, and uh, yeah, people are getting all their information off the internet. Yeah. Wow, wow, really? You think that? Okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But and again, with that, it's hard to know with the police brutality because are the stats going to be altered or what is not going to be released? What it, you know what I mean? Exactly. So it's, it's hard to exactly. even know. Or like, is there a police brutality that has not been recorded? Like you know, but stuff happens all the time. Oh, oh it, stuff it's just, has happened all the time. It has and it does yeah. and it is. And unfortunately, it will unfortunately continue. Right. Yeah. But the best we can do, again to your point, is mm-hmm. document it. Yeah. You got a you got a cell phone, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're taking pictures of yourself all the time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Turn the camera around. Turn capture, it around. Capture some things that. And also, could be maybe people should start looking around. Maybe like, be aware of what's going on. Sometimes I just uh, feel like you know. It, it freaks me out being um, too much on your phone, you know, like um, 
should be, yeah, I don't know. I have an 18-year-old son. <laughs> we have this conversation quite often. Yeah. Um, and that's just that generation, his generation, they grew up with PlayStation and Apple phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, my generation did not. Yeah. We had tennis on Nintendo, and it was very slow. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and we didn't have the Internet when we were born. Yeah. We didn't have cell phones when we were born. Right? Yeah. I didn't have a cell phone until I was a young adult. Yeah. Right. So my foundation is already established of go outside and play all day long. Just come back before the streetlights come on. Oh, yeah. Go I, figure I, it out. I did that. That was great. You know, or, or my sister and I, when we were in the house, like, okay, you got to get from this side of the house, this side of the house. Yeah. And you can't step on the floor. <laughs> you create games and stuff. And, it's and what fun. does that do for your imagination and yeah. your developmental skills? Right. Now, I told my son just recently, I said, you know, when you play a video game, guess what the video game does? It answers all the questions for you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas it's not infinite, mm-hmm. right? So go outside, cut that off, go outside. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's good. So right. he got so he got to experience that part. You pushed him to go outside younger. Yep, summer good. camps and yeah. and you know we again we traveled a lot. There was times yeah. I said let's put the video game thing away for for a while. Yeah, you know, I always use an excuse. Oh, you don't have a. A in his class. We gotta put the PlayStation away for six weeks, man. It just we yeah. gotta get that grade together. Yeah. But really, I knew he'd get the grade together. Right. It was like, look, I want you to experience life, life. outside of a TV box. Oh ah, yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Um, and it's beneficial and necessary, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, looking at a cell phone and documenting things that are critical and important and could move the balance, social yeah. justice needle. I um, do. Yeah, I do think that that it, um, people should document stuff like that. Um, I always just bring this up because I always like to talk about each side of everything. Sure. And um, I also, there's like an extreme where I also do see people not helping somebody because they're too busy documenting it hmm. when they could be helping that person or something. Does right. that, yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then a, what, yeah. yeah, two part problem with that. They're documenting it for what purpose? Right. Right. So you see a person struggling, you're just gonna throw that on what your Instagram or your Facebook video. Get likes, get famous. Wow. You're doing that for someone. Someone else's. um, There's people that negative situation is uh, valuable to you in that way. Yeah, is that crazy? Like some people do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's the hard part. It's, well, I think too. Yeah. I just think that. you get everything with a phone in your hand and having access to that. You get different varieties. But again, I come back to I think that it is more helpful than it is hurtful. Yeah. It is, but I mean that is a very good point. Like yeah. when when do you peel off, you know, uh, the phone and, and engage in the human. actual yeah. circumstance that you're documenting, right? Right. Now with Chauvin, bring it back to George Floyd, mm-hmm. Chauvin was a law authority. You can't a government official, you can't intervene and then the other cops are saying stand back. You can't intervene other than using your mouth, right? Because you have freedom of speech, but you and can't phone. and document it. Yeah. But you can't physically engage in that. Which, there which are is so why I believe, there. which is why I believe why Chauvin and the other ones are so guilty and do need to be punished because yeah. we entrusted you yeah. uh, with a lot of uh, responsibility and trust. Yeah. Because we can't do anything if you're making a mistake. And that's yeah. what, that's why the accountability, I believe, needs to be as high as it is. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because if 
the guy had been hit by a boulder and is just sitting on the back, back of his neck, we can all engage and push that off of him. Yeah. Can't do that with a cop. You can't push a cop off of a guy. Nope, you, you you're going to get arrested not. or harmed too. But and you're breaking the law. Oh, gosh. I just, seeing, like, that footage that they showed of all the people that were there yelling at him, uh-huh. there was there's a lot of people there. And I know I remember. Still his hand never came out of his pocket. Which is so, like. That's the symbol for that. I don't know why I keep going back, but I no, always go back symbol. to his hand it's in his pocket. It's definitely a symbol. Like, he was so relaxed. Like, it was like he was waiting for a cup of coffee or something uh-huh. in line. Like, and again, what does that tell you? He's done it before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> At least that's what it says to me. Is that he was very comfortable. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, wow, you're really comfortable doing that. That's. And I do. There was like one girl that stood out to me during that that um, was talking about like she was like a medical professional or something. She was saying like, you know, I don't remember what she was saying, but she was like, he cannot breathe. You need to get off of him. He needs medical help oh, yeah, and stuff. Right, and exactly. And even that. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, and he still didn't respond. No. In fact, I think he may have just ignored her. He yeah. didn't act like she existed. Yeah, she and yeah. she was like really distraught. Like she looked like she was about to cry. She's freaking out. Like she was panicking. Well, they watch again. They're watching a guy, the life evaporate out of a guy. They're literally watching it. It's uh, it's it, and it, it's upsetting. And you know what? It, it should be upsetting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's watching a, a person die who doesn't need to die, who no. is not deserving of it. If he did something illegal, by all means, arrest the guy, put him in jail, Let's yeah. take him to court. You know, the whole thing. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. But through the system of, you know, we all have these rights, right? Mm-hmm. And his rights were taken away, and in the worst way. The worst. Know? Yeah. And I think that's why the response in the streets was so uh, uh, big. You know, I mean, with Rodney King. The guy was speeding, like, in a Hyundai. Uh, initially, the guy may have been resisting and, and may have been altered high or drunk or both, right? Mm-hmm. He still didn't deserve to be... I, I watched that tape recently again. Yeah. And uh, there was one individual cop hitting him with a baton without any kind of... It wasn't result-orientated. Uh, it wasn't like he was hitting him, trying to get him to turn around and get his arms behind the back the cup. He was just hitting the guy. You yeah, know, the guy's and, putting his hand up like, you and know. And that's another thing, too, is like, I, so I did, I do jujitsu, and I think all cops should do that, some form of MMA, or like, mm-hmm. because that is like you can get somebody down without hurting them. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you don't have to kill them. You don't have to shoot them. You just like know how to manipulate them to get them down. Like, do you who, think that they're getting that type of training though? They need to. They need to. That's, I mean, like, or something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why? I shouldn't say. Cops shouldn't be physically out of shape. <laughs> like, how do well, I say all this? the cops be healthy and good looking? And, no, I mean you know, good looking especially. And, but right. no, but if they can't, you know, if they're like don't know what to do, they're panicking, they're out of shape, and not like you know what I mean, just like, and they're gonna go for their gun. That's what they do. That's ridiculous right. to me. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. 100%. But 100% um, like what was what was that one in Wisconsin? I forgot his name. Wait, let me just say this uh, really yeah. quickly. That. Um, to your point about being trained on how to subdue without injuring. Yeah. I mean, they have no excuse. They trained 
people in the 80s,、mm-hmm. they trained people to chokehold people,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. Which killed people,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. So they do train physical、uh, things to subdue or, or、mm-hmm. to stop,、mm-hmm. but they're not training correctly, right? You know?、Um, Right.、Uh, yeah.、It's、I mean, they are training, I mean, how to put a knee in someone's、mm-hmm. small of the back or, or between their shoulder blades, get an arm up there behind their back, and then put a cuff. Yeah.、Uh, I think they do get some physical training,、yeah. but I think they abuse it because, again, the human aspect comes into it.、Sure. They've been chasing this guy、yeah. for you know, six miles in the car, then they、yeah. had to run after the guy for half a mile, and then they're mad. Yeah. From my understanding, cops get really mad when you run from them, from my understanding, right?、I've, I don't know. Yeah. You know. But you know, there's a human aspect to it where a guy gets pissed off. At and then the anger、perp. takes over, and they don't and the even know who they、over. are anymore, I feel like.、Right. Yeah. And they don't even see the person that they're attacking anymore、no. either. Yeah, and it's、right? almost very like, animalistic. And, right. Yeah. So I think that core space is what、um, they need to start、right. work, psychologically need to start working with. Because, and it's not easy, I concede. Yeah. It's a tough job, I concede that too. Yeah. But we know this. So, yeah. Yeah. since we know this, don't be getting people to give them that job that aren't right in the head. And that's and suspect. That's, and that's kind of why I think, like, again, I think you've said, like, mental health, like, making sure these like, police officers are being evaluated, I think.、Mm-hmm. Like, they need to be, like, checked in. <laughs> like, and that they also can recognize mental health issues when they see it. Yes. Because a lot of times they're killing people, and hey, this guy's. Had missed his meds, you know, he didn't need to be killed. I mean, what are you doing? Right. You know, so、um, there's a lot of work to be done. Clearly, a lot of work to <laughs> yes, be done. Yes, there is. I keep coming back to visuals too, but okay, so yes, I was a for, former model and the whole thing.、Um, I'm a photographer now,、um, but, uh, but uh, also I'm this. I'm the son of, a, of a, an activist. Sure. You know, my, my dad was in an organization in the 70s and early 80s called CORE, which stands for Congress of Racial Equality. And he was the national treasurer of CORE for like over a decade. Very cool. It is. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And、um, you remember the Geraldo Rivera show? No. Geraldo Rivera had a TV show. Some of the older folks will know this. <laughs>、um, and there was an episode where. Uh, he was like a Maury Povich or Jerry Springer, had these kind of you know, toxic environment things、yeah. going on in the shows. So, one episode or show, he had、uh, white nationalists on the show, on the panel, and a bunch of、uh, non racist skinheads,、mm. right?、Mm-hmm. This is a very serious cocktail,、mm. okay?、Yeah. And so,、uh, there was one person sitting on the panel with the white supremacist,、mm-hmm. a guy named Roy Innes. Roy Innes used to babysit me. Roy Innes used to be the chairman of Congress of Racial Equality until my dad and other members ousted him because he was embezzling money out of CORE. So he's not a member of CORE anymore, but he's acting like he is on this Geraldo Rivera show. Oh. Right? Clearly getting a paycheck. So he's sitting on a panel, and Tom Metzger is sitting across from him. You know who Tom Metzger is? He's a Super、um, white supremacist who wanted the middle part of the country to be just sectioned off for whites only.、Mm-hmm. He's got this kind of panel.、Oh, so,、uh, and Metzger's with his son,、mm-hmm. right? The son, somewhere in the show, calls Roy Innes a porch monkey. And, and I, my dad and I know Roy. He started shaking. 
Are you serious? <laughs> and he got up and started choking Metzger's son. <laughs> and a big brouhaha breaks out. Right, and the the skinheads, the non-racist ones, are throwing chairs, and Harada got his nose broken. It's a famous episode; he got his nose broken, right? Yeah. And uh, I remember my dad saying, "Yeah, if that had been the real court, it'd been different." (laughs) 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 But I I brought all that up. I brought all that up. Sorry for the tangent, but I went. I brought all that up to say that there was a young man named Ron Settles in 1981 who um, was a high school graduate who had just got accepted a a scholarship in Southern California to play for USC, University of Southern California, full scholarship, running back. He was one of the top players in the country. Yeah. Well, one weekend, he gets pulled over, has a traffic violation. He has a a traffic warrant, right? And he gets arrested. Typical thing. Kids don't take care of tickets. They get more. It, yeah. it, it does happen. That happens a, thing. a lot. <laughs> so he gets arrested like on a Friday or Saturday night. The next morning, he is hung in his prison cell with a sheet. He's dead, hanging, right? Um, this is a young man who just got a full scholarship, right? Right. He's probably going to be a football star. Not the, not the profile that kills themselves. It's a traffic warrant. He's yeah. going to be out on Monday once he pays the fine or sees the judge, whatever. He's right. just there for a, night or, a, a day and a half. Not tops. a big deal, yeah. Not a big deal, right? Um, so my dad led a march. This is in Signal Hill, Long Beach, yeah. right? He led a march to that police station where he was killed, right? Yeah. And if you Google it, you'll, you can find some stuff on it. Um, but um, I say that because... A lot of, not a lot of people know about that circumstance yeah. because it was never visually documented, right? Yeah. So, yeah. again, the difference between, and that would be something that is just as powerful as the George Floyd murder because it's a young man with all this bright future in front of him yeah. whose life is that's, taken from him. That's terrible. And they tried to say that it was a suicide. Yeah. And they got away with saying that it was a suicide. No one's ever been held accountable for that. That's disgusting. That's, uh, but you know, it, you think about how many times that's happened. Right. Where it didn't even get a Where, march. No. no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or we don't even know about we it. We don't know about it. Right. So it, it's, it's been a regular thing that that occurrence has happened because there's so much comfortability in doing it repeatedly. Yeah. So when we start finding out about it and phones start coming into play, yeah. all of a sudden it's a rash of it. Yeah. The list of African-American people mm-hmm. who've been killed by cops while they're, you know, on a traffic stop or what have you. Yeah. It just exploded. It's disgusting. But oh, it didn't but explode. It just, the explosion was the documentation of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Going exactly. On. Like, oh, well, why is this happening all of a sudden? It's like, no. No. It's no, not, like, unfortunately, it's just now being done. Which, it's disgusting. It is so gross that, that we even have to, like, deal with that. But now that we do have the technology to present it to the world and say look there's a problem mm-hmm. that hopefully there'll be some change but it's, it's been a crisis actually yeah right so i think that um and again i i'm going to do some research between now and april 1st to find out see see if i can find out what the level of these circumstances are now don't hear about them much anymore there's one recently just heard about but there was a time i think right up before the George Floyd, it was like, it like once a month, yeah. like once a week. I was like, oh my God, guy's running. Why are you shooting him in the back? Or this woman's sleeping in her bedroom. 
what, yeah, what it was heck? insane. It was like another like what? It was is, constant. It was constant. It was constant. Well, and that's the thing too. There were like there's one in Wisconsin, and I can't remember the name of him, but they he was running out of a car, and the cops couldn't catch him, so they just shot him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that I think is the one that I was like, I could catch, I could catch that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I didn't like it's just like again with the jujitsu and like doing just my like any sort of like martial arts or like being able to like safely take somebody down instead of killing them or using a weapon. I who's um uh, the kid that killed north of here, um, young young guy, that, light yeah. kid. I don't. Um, I'm so bad at the names, but the one who got shot by the woman who thought she had a taser. Is that yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a problem. He's running right. Well, he's like 18, 19 years old. He's got a kid. His mom's on the phone. He lives in the neighborhood. Run. Where are you going to go? Right. <laughs> like, thank where you. are you going? Yes, thank you. Go ahead and run. Let you just run. add in charges. Let him run. Yeah, we, just, we know where he lives. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's not going anywhere. Let him run. You, you don't need to tase a kid. You don't need to shoot him up. None of that stuff. I know. He ain't going anywhere. Where are you going to go? He's going to go to Mexico, mom's house. Canada. He's going to mom's house. He's going to go run over his friend's house for a day or so. Yeah, maybe. He's going to bring his butt back home eventually. He'll pick him up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That one is so easy. emotional. It's like, That's oh, easy, it's though. like a child. It's a child. But I think we give, we don't give young black men the, uh, that patience, right? It's like, We're, gotta get him now, gotta get him now. Teenagers. He's not teenagers, killing, he's not like some on some raging mass murder thing. Teenagers just run. Like, yeah, that's, that's what they, they do. do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they run, you, you know. You could chase after them and I make mean, it into a brutal circumstance, but yeah. why? Where are they gonna go? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, again, with the community thing, like if there was a cop in the community, they'd be like, "Okay, that's just you know." Yeah, I know his aunt yeah, around the exactly, corner, right? And you know, I'm gonna tell Bob yeah. when he come back to work because he work at the corner of the liquor store yeah. right here. Like, oh, you're in trouble anywhere. now. Yeah. yeah, like I'll give him tomorrow. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. Or I'll call. His mom or his aunt or the, the employer and go, let me know when he gets there. Right. 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 Oh, God. You're right. Yeah. It's so it's, true. It's, it's, it's the lack of desire to want to do that. And I don't know why race is such a um, a thing. <laughs> I don't like, either, right? Yeah. I don't. I mean, I'm a white girl. I can't say that because I'm like, what? I don't no, know. No, you can say really, that and you should say I'm, that. That's I don't, what we need you to I'm, say that. Yeah. I just feel like if I, like a lot of times just being like a white woman being like, if I say anything, like, oh, you wouldn't understand. But it's like, I don't get why, why we all have to make this race thing. It's like, like, why can't we treat people because like Because it's humans? still, well, okay. So it's, we can't move on because it hasn't been dealt with it properly right right um and as a white woman we need you to do what people were doing during uprising be involved right and say no we're not you know we're world citizens it's not about black white and and what race somebody is it's about uh our constitution and bill of rights and all the articles in it and, and, and giving everyone the same equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Yeah. Right? Um, and we aren't doing that. And yeah. that's why we can't move on. I would love to move on. <laughs> I would love right. to. The day we can move on and be like, thank God, finally I ain't going to worry about this anymore. I can just be 
my beautiful black self and not worry about it. Right. Right. You can be your beautiful white self and not worry about it. And we can appreciate each other about that. Right. Yeah. But right now, I mean, I guess it was a senator just the other day said that, you know, something to the effect that interracial marriage should have stayed illegal. Huh? Wait, what? Oh my gosh. Google it. I had to Google that one and just what? verify that. That was true. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so okay. we have some, and this is a lawmaker. This okay, is if this is so a guy crazy. on the street, no, whatever. No, but he's right. He's right. We should marry our siblings, I think. <laughs> we should definitely do that. That was a thing, wasn't it? That was a thing before interracial <laughs> marriage, actually. Does that ever get outlawed? Gosh. I don't know if that ever get outlawed. But yeah, yeah. Oh, There's that. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many jokes oh, in that. I know. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, so I think we're taking the steps, the baby steps uh, that are necessary. I love to have this conversation. I love that that uh, someone who's white and someone who's black can have a, a candid and real conversation right. about it. Um, but yeah, we can't we can't move on from it. And 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 I think. I can't speak for white people, right? right? But I think that there's a level of um, white guilt. I think um, that um, is too focused on, right? Um, what maybe your great 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 grandfather did to my great 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 grandmother, um, I can't hold you personally accountable accountable for that. Right. But what I can say is I need you to be my advocate. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's that's the only thing that that I think that uh, I require of you in that space. Yeah. Right? I don't require you to understand my walk as a black yeah. man. Yeah. And I don't know why people are holding white people to being accountable to that when they can't anyway. Right. 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 All I think, uh, what I believe is that <clears throat> you should be empathetic and open. And, uh, and sometimes be okay with knowing that it's going to be sometimes a little uncomfortable. Right. Right? Right. That's okay. doesn't make you guilty of anything. doesn't right. make me aggressive about anything. We're having a real conversation about the history of this country in terms of race. race and it's, it's hot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It <laughs> it's is. hot. And I think that, I mean, there's a lot to be done. And... I just think that opening up conversations with people is the start. Just everybody, you Thank know, you. lay it Thank out. Thank yeah. There needs to be more of you. Thank <laughs> you. No, seriously. Well. Because not everybody, everyone, is, I, as a black person, you should yeah. know this. And all white people listening should know this. Black people really appreciate when white people are just open. Yeah. You know, we don't need you to tell us, um, you know, how terrible we've been treated we know that already right? Right, right we just need to be open to what our experience has been yeah right? not looking for uh you to solve anything right right we can <laughs> but we can start yeah we can we start just, you know you plant a seed and you water it. yeah exactly you i'm know? just like one person is not going to be able to change this it has to be every like conversations and it has to start with one person like one little thing that you can do is going to ripple effect you know so i think that's really important that people 100 percent agree 100%. understand and, that and black people don't have an expectation of of white people in one conversation in one circumstance or friendship or relationship yeah resolving that right yeah i have a very close friend of mine who i'm sure will listen to this um <laughs> hey betsy shout out hi um, hey <laughs> um 
Uh, she's a Jew very proud Jewish woman, mm -hmm. right? And an amazing human being, yogi. And um, we've been friends since 1988, I believe. And uh, there was, I can't remember when it was, but it was sometime in the 90s. Uh, it was some uh, confrontation that happened in, in New York between a Hasidic Jew person, Jewish person and, uh, and a black person, right? And it created this kind of mini wannabe race riot between Jews and blacks in New York. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I think she was here and I was in Southern California. We had a conversation on the phone and, said, and we said, you know, we can't change with what's happening with that. But what we can do, yeah. you and I independently, individually, yeah. is we can love each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the only thing we can control. Right. And that's a lot. And I, and I, I say it because I emphasize because it's like, I, I do this a lot where it's like I get in over my head like, oh my gosh, what can I do? Like it has to be big. It has to be, it's like, no, 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 no. You have a reach, but like, do what you can in your reach and do that the best you can, and it's going to ripple effect to other people. And that's, I think that's what people need to understand. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, if you have access to making a big change and having a loud voice, that's super great. But if you don't, do what you can in your reach, and I think that's a start. Well, some people have a platform. I feel like I have a little platform right now. Yeah. Uh, and which and is great too with everything in your show and like. You get in, yeah. It's but it brings that brings a, a, a different level of responsibility, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I get that, and mm -hmm. I and I honor that, um, and will be respectful of that. Um, hopefully, I do well. Uh, I bet you will. But thank you. But um, it doesn't need to be a platform. You know, you could right. be walking down the street and pass someone of a different race or culture, and just make sure that you they know that you're okay with their their presence. I mean, it could be a smile. You know, be yeah. not, you know, whatever it is, just yeah. it's kindness. A, a smile can really do a lot. Do I a just lot. have to say that. Like, it, it, it changes someone's day. If, like, if you notice that somebody's walking down the street and they're like, look sad, and you smile at them, you could change their whole day. Yeah. And it, it's rippling, well, to your point. Yeah. Because you changed their day, and then they do that to two or three other people. They, and next thing yeah. you know, we have a better society. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm, yeah, I love that. So. I know. I really, I'm all about the rippling. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this was a really good conversation, and I'm really glad that you're here and we're able to talk about this. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I could talk to you for another hour, but... Well, we are. I'm just going to switch okay. it. <laughs> I, just have right. to, I just have to switch it up. Okay. So now we're going to talk about your modeling career. Oh, no. <laughs> and also your other job, too, your, um, what you do now. Yeah, I'm a store manager. We'll talk about that first. I'm a store yeah. manager uh, at Psycho Bunny. Yeah, yeah. And, and I so, like Psycho Bunny. This stuff is cool. Yeah, it's a really cool, hip, edgy, but premium brand. Yeah. And uh, they um, started off as a golf brand, right? Oh, I yeah, can see that. Back in 2005, and they actually sponsored a, a PGA Tour player. Um, and then, uh, you know, they specialized in polos, but they were rivaling Lacoste and polo, so all Pima cottons and Egyptian cottons, real, you know, really well-made premium stuff, which justifies the price point. But they uh, they branched out into tracksuits and, you know, cool. printed T-shirts and, you know, like my hoodie that I have on right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but still kept the same level of quality with everything that they did, started with the, the polos. Mm -hmm. um, again, justifies the price point. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I'm really happy to be a part of this company. So they're fun, they're hip, they're edgy. Cool. Like the entire company is coming tomorrow to uh, Mall of America. Ooh. Literally. And then Did you I got it as a visit. It's a visit. Yeah, I have every <laughs> store manager in my district coming to it. So thirteen store so managers you, coming to Minneapolis tomorrow morning. Yeah, you've been working hard then up leading up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how that goes. Yeah, you can, I've can you tell the, the wrinkles and the yeah. it? Um, and then uh, president of the stores is coming, and uh, uh, another regional manager is coming. And then I just got an email this morning from the CEO, the CCO. Mm. What does CCO stand for, by the way? I don't even know. Okay, so we, we're building a, 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 a internet list of things to Look check up. out. Yeah, I, th- I think we have um, a yeah we have a little list so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I got an email from him uh, this morning saying, "Hey, I'll be there on Thursday. Let's go have a bite and a drink Thursday night." I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my god. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. No. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Some things may be in the works. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, it's, um, okay. Yeah, so we're a excited about that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my week's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And then, wow, I'm excited then Thursday, to hear about That's Thursday, it. Yeah. and then the next day, the, the, the Mill City opening. First. Yeah, it's yeah. first. So, yeah, it's going to be a very important week. So, the Mill City thing, what time is that at that you're doing? Uh, I, bl- I want to say it's 6 to 9. Okay. Uh, 7 to 9 for people who are showing up. I think I have to be there an hour earlier. Okay. But I can't emphasize enough. This is short notice, so if you can't make it on the first, it's going until mid-May. Okay. I would, I would highly urge everyone to go see this. Yeah. yeah, my work's in it, but there's, I mean, there's a. They did a video of all the images. Yeah. It's really, from what I saw, it's really wonderful. Yeah. And that wasn't even at the Mill City. Mill City is a wonderful museum. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, I think it's going to be something important to go see. I, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, and me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm actually excited because yeah. I haven't seen what they've done at the Mill City. I saw at the, the university, year. but I didn't see, um, was it Emerson Hall? That's yeah. where it was. Okay. Uh, I think it's called Emerson Hall. But um, but I'm interested. I've been in the Mill City a few times, and I love that museum. It's got yeah. an organic feel to it, so I'm kind of curious as to how they're going to lay it out there. Yeah, where I wonder is it? Do you know where in the Mill City it's going to be at? Because okay, where inside the museum? No, mm-hmm. I don't. I do not. I Interesting. Do not. Well, yeah, I'll I let look you forward know to seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's what I do for, for uh, me and my son's health insurance and to pay the bills. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I have a pretty extensive retail career background. Career, I've done that. Yeah, and I didn't, decade. and I didn't know that. Um, so names some of the places that you've modeled for that's pretty it's pretty exciting like you're kind of famous I used to work before I worked at Psycho Bunny I worked with Johnson and Murphy no okay I, you want to go modeling um, okay so uh, I did tell you I'm in my 50s right so um, when I was a very young man I had a girlfriend who was a model very lucky and Ooh, uh, yeah, lucky guy yeah, I was a lucky dude man and uh she kept telling me. I kept trying to get me to model, and, ah. and I'm gonna do like some documentaries. I'm gonna go at the present. I'm gonna go back to the beginning and work my way back. So she kept trying to get me into, you know, be a model. She take me to the yeah. little model parties. She tried to get me to come to her agency with. Whenever oh. I would come to her agency, she'd go, my boyfriend should be modeling. She da da da, right? Oh, and she's I was always cool. saying no, oh. um, because of a reason. When I was a very small person, like five, six years old, mm-hmm. there was a um, 
that was a master a spokesperson, if you will, for uh, Jack in the Box. His name was Rodney Allen Rippey, right? A little black kid with an afro. Yeah. And I was a little black kid with an afro. <laughs> and it was the only role model that was on TV for me. Yeah. And I loved me some Rodney Allen Rippey. He always had a hamburger biting Jack in the Box, right? <laughs> um, and so I have an affinity for Jack in the Box. So um, <laughs> growing up, I, I always wanted to do what Rodney Allen Rippey was doing. Yeah. I wanted to do that job. Yeah. Right? So taking pictures, I wasn't doing that job. I right. wouldn't do that. I wanted to be an actor. I didn't want to be a model, yeah. you know. And then uh, I think like the third or fourth time my girlfriend had brought me into her modeling agency, uh, I was kind of dismissing the, the agent, the modeling agents. And then another person walked by. She goes, hey, you'd be great for commercials. Oh, now, we're, oh, what, what did she just oh, say? Oh, your dream. <laughs> oh, here we go. Well, excuse me, guys. <laughs> I'm going to go talk with her in that other room. Yeah. So sat down with her, and um, she said, yeah, you'd be great for commercials. And I'm like, my tail's wagging. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that now you got me. Yeah. Okay. So um, my girlfriend set me up with a guy who took some pictures of me, yeah. some headshots, and gave them to the agent and uh, the commercial agent uh, and back then uh, uh, most modeling agencies had a commercial division inside of their agency because mm-hmm. it was a money grab yeah. at the end of the day so this is an agency called Prima right and uh, uh, gave, we gave pictures to that, that commercial agent I guess she starts submitting them to casting directors and I got like a week later got an audition nice. for, for McDonald's oh got a call back I was like ooh got a call back Right? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. I go to the callback. Next day, they call me back in again. And they just like, you have a second callback. This is unusual. Huh. I'm like, okay, I don't know. I, this is my first go at it. So I go back to the second callback. And I'm not doing anything. I'm just, they had me trying on clothes. Yeah. And I start to realize, this is not a callback. <gasps> that was, that this was is, it? This is a fitting. What? Yeah. So I call my agent. I'm like, uh, I think I may have gotten this job. And they're like, Yeah, they called. You yeah. booked. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's it was. Wow. So fast. It was very fast. Wow. And I think that's what kind of, uh, from that point on, I was chasing the dragon. From that point on, because yeah. that commercial was the last commercial with the guy with the big moon head. His name was Mac Tonight, and he used to play a piano. He had a big old half-crescent moon head, right? (laughs) He's a very good musician. He had his big moon head. White moon head with white gloves, right? And it was the very first McDonald's commercial where you peeled back something to win, something in the cup. What? Yeah. So they ran the bejesus out of this commercial, right? I don't know what kind of money I'm going to make on this commercial. I know I was, I think, maybe a... I don't know, 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid, and yeah. I was broke, and I was couldn't pay my rent, yeah. and I was just in this Anything space. Anything will do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like a month later, I got two checks in the mail. I owed $2,000 on my rent. I remember this. I was like, I'm starting to freak out. I was like, oh, my God, I need money. And these two checks from my mailbox, right? Yeah. One was 800 I remember it was 816 and 2064 Whoa. No, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. No. I take that back. I remember it was eight eight sixteen and twelve sixty four. Literally two thousand dollars paid my rent. I was oh over the moon happy, That's right? That's so exciting. So I'm, I'm in good spirits. Yeah. And me and my girlfriend at the time, um, we you know same girlfriend. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm gonna take you to the beach and let's go get some food and get yeah. some sun, right? Yeah. So the next day we're getting in the car <laughs> to go to the beach, and I said, oh wait, 
let's just go check the mail. Yeah. Go to the mailbox. The day after I get this, these two checks, right? Yeah. Open the mailbox, and literally, it was envelopes just fell out of the, the it was stuffed and it was from the same place from my agency oh my god it was this thick stop it no of checks of checks <gasps> i go back to the car sit in the passenger side she was driving and i toss them in her lap and we never made it to the beach we opened up checks oh and we were god. laughing literally tears oh. like this is can't be real 3250 1580 oh 2840 816 again. Oh, oh. 5500. Oh, it was $32,000. Oh. What? What? So I, and and at that point, and remember I'm like 19, right? Yeah. So I'm like chasing the dragon after that. What? I we go to Europe, I oh, buy yeah. a new car. I just, oh, yeah. No one told me, "Hey, hey, hey, hey." Hey, this isn't going to happen. Take some of this money and invest this money. Yeah. Go buy one of these cheap houses in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no one told me to do anything oh with money, gosh. so I just went crazy. Oh. I bought her clothes, me clothes. We went to Europe. And it was oh. very deck and stayed in nice hotels. Everywhere. Yeah. I, went, I think within four months or five months, I blew all that money. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. I, I immediately booked another commercial for Mazda. Yeah. Right? And the producer is running around on set going, oh, you guys going to make 30K. Literally, I'm quoting her. You guys going to make 30K in this oh commercial. So I don't care that I'm blowing money. Because yeah, I'm thinking, you're like, I'm, I'm going to get it another, again. Yeah. I think I made maybe two, three thousand dollars in that commercial over two years. Oh no! Right. So I learned a lesson early on, but yeah. I also learned that oh wow, you know what? I, I think I'm kind of good at this. Yeah, right? yeah. So that's what started me, and then finally, the agencies did talk me into modeling. So I started modeling, yeah. and I went to Europe, and I did it there. I started cool. there, and I came back to Los Angeles. Yeah. And the commercial thing was good, but I just was. You know, I'd been living in Europe and yeah. a real city, and LA's my home and I love it, yeah. but it's not a real city. Yeah. You know? So um, I was just kind of antsy. So I had an agency in New York, and they're like, hey, we keep getting requests for you, but you're not here. So I started flying in New York, and I'd go to New York, be there for a month, and I would be busy the whole month. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'd come back to LA, and the agency would come and go, hey, the client wants to book you again. And so I ended up I ended up going back and forth, oh back and gosh. forth. And over like a three or four month period, yeah. my agency finally said, you know, uh, we think it's time that you get a place here. Yeah. Because. You have a lot of stuff going on <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, you could make even more if you're local because they're flying you in for day bookings. But if you're there, you can do these two four-hour jobs yeah. and just scrape up all of it. Yeah. So I did that. And. I guess I'm bragging, but I had my first hundred thousand dollar year the first year I was in awesome. New York. Yeah. Um, and then it just got exponentially better for the next three, four years. Cool. Um, and and yeah, I had a good I had a good run. I worked with a lot of really well known and talented photographers. Cool. Um, you know, worked with I did all the catalog stuff, Macy's, Dayton's, yeah. um, uh, you name it. I was doing a lot of the yeah, a lot of the catalog. You, know, you had your GQ stuff and your editorial stuff, Luomo Vogue, and all that yeah. really cool edgy stuff. Yeah, there's no money in that. Beautiful photography, beautiful stuff. Really, but no money. Interesting. Yeah, especially if you, I would, I would avoid doing jobs that, oh, this this client is out of Italy. Yeah. They're coming here to shoot, and it's beautiful stuff. They're shooting. Yeah. Then they're going back to Italy. Good luck getting paid. Yeah. Right. But if I work for Macy's, if I work for Target, I'm getting my money within 30 days. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
because they're doing W4s. I got to do my W4. It's just, right. you know, or my 1099. Yeah. Um, is that how, is that how you do that as a model? 1099s? Yes, 1099. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you do commercials, it's, you know, you do a W4. Okay. Right? Like you, uh, yeah, but modeling was, I always paid money as a model in tax time. And I, I got to the point where I started paying partials because I would look up and go, oh, you owe eight grand this year. Uh, yeah. For last year, rather. So I would pay partials. And I think the max you could pay at that time was maybe 1500 or 2000 I can't remember which one. But I would pay that so I'd have a softer landing because yeah. when you get paid from doing a modeling job, there's no taxes taken out. Right. 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 So, you know, you still got to pay the end brother. of the year. You got to have right. that little. Right. And you get your write offs, but they're not going to cover all that stuff. Yeah. So you got to pay partials and you're still going to owe some, but you're, it takes a lot of heat off if you pay partials. Mm -hmm. So I learned all that in the process, but. It was it was it was great in that as a young person I was able to fly I, I flew to all these places right mm -hmm. it'd be Bodega Bay California or it'd be you know Madison Wisconsin because I used to work for Lamb's End a lot which is oh, in Wisconsin yeah. um, Eddie Bauer I used to fly, fly me into Seattle because they're out of Seattle oh cool um, fun what a fun life yeah Riches ah. down in Atlanta yeah. Um, famous bar in New England area in Boston. Oh, wow. Um, you know, or Santa Fe, New Mexico, or the Keys. I flew all these places. And the cool thing about it is, is that I never paid for to go there. Yeah. It was already paid for me. That's cool. And yeah. I got paid to go. That's so fun. Yeah. I mean, you can't get a better job for a young person. Right. Right. And yeah. you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Physically. Yep. So you got to eat right. You got to work out and all that stuff. So you kind of end up having a really great life. I think the downside, though, yeah. if you're not smart and no one's guiding you, is that uh, and I think a lot of women models actually get caught up in this, to be frank, um, that you do that job and you're being told you're fabulous and you're great um, and you're getting a lot of money, but you're not getting guided with what to do with your money mm -hmm. or how to invest it or take care of it. Most aren't. And then secondly, you're not being set up for the, most importantly, you're not being set up for the next step. Sure. You're not going to be cute forever. Yeah. You're not going to have that body and that face structure forever. You right. are going to alter. Right. So what's your next? What's, what's your exit strategy? What's your next plan? Yeah. No one talks about that because it's yeah. so good in the moment, and you're, you're not even thinking about the next steps. Yeah. And I wasn't. Yeah. So when I start, when I became a parent and became a single parent, and mm -hmm. I realized I couldn't be flying all over the place, and I couldn't have a, a volatile income, and I needed health insurance for my son, well, I had to get a regular job. Yeah. And I had to figure that out. Yeah. Because I hadn't had a regular job yeah. since I was 19. Wow. So, <laughs> so I had, was a little, oh, a how resume. How old were you uh, then when you had your son? Or? I was 36. 36, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I had been so like, working, oh, shoot, what do I doing do? commercials what do I do and all here? that business. Yeah. And I had to, it was hard. Yeah. I had to figure it out. And I didn't really get it figured out until, honestly, it was a tough decade. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't until, I think my son was like almost 12 that kind of oh, wow. gained my okay oh now all right i'm in yeah. a retail executive management space and okay this is my direction and, it's, yeah. and it got that got good but i had to go through this transition uh this cocoon and it just <laughs> didn't you know uh it, it got elongated because i didn't have the tools no one no right. one guided me on what to do yeah once i wasn't modeling anymore and no one was really on me about saving money i have a cousin who lives in atlanta mm -hmm. has family to live in atlanta and he would always tell me Man, you gotta come down here and buy some property, man. You gotta buy, <laughs> and so he talked about these houses, these multi dwellings yeah. for like eighty thousand dollars, and I 
pretty much had that saved in my bank. And I'm like, I'm not going to put all my money in yeah. to a house, some house in the South. I'm going to do that. No one told me, dude, you don't have to pay the thing off. <laughs> you put like a 20% down yeah. on it, put a few little, <laughs> you know, paint the walls or whatever. <laughs> and now your house will be worth 500 grand. Right? Like, like <laughs> if I'd have known what I know now, yeah. then I'd have bought, how many can I get? Yeah, can right? I get 18 of these down in Atlanta? Because right? they're dirt cheap. And now those yeah. houses are half a million dollar homes. Oh my gosh. Totally missed the yeah. boat on that. Oh, aren't you? I know. <laughs> But, you know, that's why it's important that, you know, yes, it's a sexy job and mm-hmm. it's decking it and it's all the things and all the feels. And it yeah. is that. But we need to be teaching young people how to kind of deal with it yeah. psychologically. Yeah. And again, I go back to women, especially women, because women are really maltreated yeah. in that industry, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's dark in spaces with them, you know, mm-hmm. how men treat them. Mm-hmm. And they need some guidance on how to deal with these circumstances and people yeah. and their finances and the whole thing. It's a, it's a, it's a void in that space. Yeah. You know, and I've seen a, I know a lot of models who were fabulous and beautiful and they're either strung out or you yeah. can't find them now or they're bitter about things. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to see them in that space. Now, some, that's not all. Yeah. Some yeah. are very successful still and smart, you know, but it, the majority it turns into an unfortunate circumstance or space. Yeah. I hate to be so dark about this right now. But, no, you're, um, you're telling some truth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, uh, but <clears throat> for me, mm-hmm. I had to go through that transition. And in the midst of that transition, me trying to figure it out, I was yeah. exploring a lot of things. And one of, one of the things was, well, what do I like to do? Yeah. One of the things I like doing, excuse me, is... It was like a yawn and a burp at the same time. It was very strange. Um, was was um, cameras and lighting and composition. And I like those things a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And a friend of mine uh, put his, his Nikon as a D320 or something. Mm-hmm. He put it on a, his Facebook to say, hey, I'm going to sell it. And I was like, hey, I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. And I bought it. And I would be in my backyard in L.A. and I'd take a picture of the, the jasmine bush. Yeah. And flowers, I'd catch a bee on one. And, yeah. And you know, I was playing with the, the, you know, the apertures and the shutter speeds and yeah. with the fluttering of the butterflies that would come around. And yeah. that's kind of how I started. And then I finally said, okay, met this black Israeli woman who I thought was very interesting looking. Yeah. And I was like, can I photograph you? And that sounds weird and strange, but I'd like to photograph you. And I won't charge you anything because yeah. this is the first time I'm doing it with a human being. Yeah. And uh, she was into it, and and I was like, oh, I think I have an eye here on this, and it, the the images came out great. I never really looked back, so yeah. um, I submitted some of the images to the Getty, mm-hmm. Getty Images, and they brought me in. So now I'm a Getty photographer as oh, well. Cool. Um, I know, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, if I want, I can package stuff and sell stock images through Getty. Yeah. Um, I like to get into their their cooler stuff, like on location and yeah. You know, but that's another conversation. Um, but yeah, during that during that that transition out of modeling. Yeah photography came and that's so cool because it goes hand in hand Mm -hmm. you've seen it and like you were saying before like you know the angles you know where to look you know all this stuff and i can see how that can translate to the other side it'd be like you know and yes thank you you're Mm -hmm. that's true yeah i think though those are things that can be taught i mean yes some some things you either you have an eye for or you don't right 
but a lot of the technical stuff obviously can be taught. Right. I think what can't be taught is what I had an advantage on, which is I understood the other side of the camera. Right. And right. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So I could talk to a, a, a subject, and I kind of had a way to relate that yeah. could disarm a person. Yeah. Right. And once I did that, and I realized I had that tool, and I saw what happens when a person is disarmed. Yeah. It brought me in. And that's the only way I want to shoot human beings now. Yeah. It's like I want to have a conversation with you, and it's not verbal. Right. You know, uh, it's really through the eyes, it's through mannerisms, yeah. um, subtleties. You know, um, it's mad. That's where the magic is, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, a lot of photographers, a lot of male photographers, shoot women, and they shoot them in these seductive and sexy, sometimes explicit, borderline ways, right? And I just, they're good photographers. They're very, very talented photographers, but they, I think that there's something that they don't connect with. It's just very surface. And yes, it's a beautiful woman, she has a beautiful body, and you got the light right, and the yeah. water splashing on her just right. Maybe use a little <laughs> glycerin with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it, right? Yeah. I don't see her. Yeah, right? you don't see her as who she is. You see her see, as like yeah. a sexy character, like a woman, yeah. like a sexy, beautiful woman that right. she is. And yeah, check the box. Mm -hmm. She's all those things, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I don't remember that photo. Right. No. Right? Yeah. Right? Same. Um, it, it's and, and then, yes, there's some objectification. We There's a whole other maybe podcast. There's a whole objectification with that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when you come into that person, right? Um, and you see what is going on. Your eye, the eyes will tell you. That's why that, that National Geographic picture of that Afghan woman. Yes. With the eyes. Yes. Iconic. Yeah. Right? And it, yeah. And it, right there, it just tells you everything. Yeah. One other thing I, I do is because, you know, as an African-American man, I get how culture can be debased. And women reflective of the same thing. Now, more so, right? That's a whole other conversation, right? But... When I photograph a woman as opposed to a man, there's certain little things I do to make sure that she's not disempowered, right? Sure. So if I'm photographing you, our eyes right now are equal eye line, right? Mm -hmm. If I if you're a guy, I'm gonna come about right there. Oh yeah. If you're a woman, I'm gonna come about right there. Interesting. It's a subtle thing. Yeah. So when you look at the image, she's more empowered. Right? Yeah. As opposed to disempowered if I go above her eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty consistent with that. There are certain angles and certain times where I yeah. will vary from that. But if it's just straight on headshots, especially yeah. if it's headshot portraits, right. I'm definitely gonna and it's not a big thing, it's just it's it's, it's subtle. subtle, but it does make a difference. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. Angles and everything. Yeah. That's cool that you consciously do that. Yeah, there's yeah. a photographer that I love actually. His name's Jim Malucci, and when I was modeling, he photographed me, right? Oh yeah. Um, and um, he shoots women, and he's now now down in Miami. He does a lot of Sports Illustrated stuff, and shoots a lot of beautiful women in bikinis. Yeah. At, in the water, with the knees in the water, right up yeah. to their you know knees in water. And I reference him because I love his work, mm -hmm. and it's. I mean, really beautiful, sexy stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing he does that I don't, I've never seen a photographer who shoots women like that does. He uses the elements in the, in the, in the image. <clears throat> so if it's water, if it's a rock formation in the water, mm -hmm. or if it's leaves, whatever it is, and I'll show you his Instagram page. Yeah. 
you'll see that the person is a part of the full image. Interesting. Yeah, and I picked up on this looking at stuff, and I finally told him, like, you know, what I love about your work is not that it's beautiful women. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. women, but they're just a part. They're another Elements. element in the image. So, so how does he do that? Like, like I think he uses a lot of, of stuff in post to help him okay. do that. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> clearly, he's thinking about this. He is, yeah. Yeah, That's with so his cool. locations, yeah. what the woman's wearing, what she's doing, how she's moving in that particular environment. Cool. Um, he uses rock, desert, ocean, vegetation, cool. and they are a part of the experience that you're seeing. And yes, yeah. she's beautiful on top of it. Yeah. But I, I love that. If you're yeah. going to shoot women in that way, yep. at least not make it just about sex. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just, when I shoot women, it's just about eyes. It's about contact. When I, yeah, when I shoot most people, I'm always focused on the eyes. Like, the expressions, the, I love that. I love that about people. Just getting yeah. them in their... Their truth and their, yeah. and their truth. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, I noticed that uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier before we started that I, I tend to allow people to be who they want to be initially. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get to who you really are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. I love it. Like, yeah, asking questions and just like hanging out, getting them comfortable, I mm -hmm. think is really important. I always, yeah, I. Uh, I think you said this too. Like the first few like photos in a session are just totally trash for mm -hmm. me because it's just yeah. a warm up. Yep. Yeah, for them, not necessarily like oh the lighting or something. It's like definitely like a personality warm up. Mm -hmm. yeah. I try to integrate the two so I save a little time. Yeah. So while I'm doing the lighting and trying to just yep. I'm, I'm letting you get your bad <laughs> habits out. Yeah. Right? And yep. then uh, hopefully by the time we really start shooting, but you know again I shoot a lot of images. I mean yeah. I will be upwards of a thousand. Now, right. Do you do any studio stuff around here? I'm a real natural light guy. Cool. You yeah. know, um, I'm really influenced by Peter Lindbergh, who just shoots all black and white. If you're not familiar with him, I will help you to him. He's amazing. He just died a few years ago. Oh. But um, he's a, he's a, an amazing natural light photographer. He shoots a lot of black and white. And it's just his tones I've always dug. You know, yeah. and it's, you know, but so no, I shoot a lot outside or I'll cool. use a studio, but I'll use natural light if there's yeah. a bounce. Sure. Uh, I, I love using hot boxes and uh, bouncing a reflector or even just putting a white sheet on the floor. Yeah. Having yep. someone sit down and just uh, use the white sheet as filler. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I kind of like the idea of not making it too production y. Uh, you know, I feel like we have a lot in common. <laughs> I think we should go out with our cameras like I've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, because uh, even just, we we had a moment where we were showing each other, like, the same photo. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, wind this, in here. Yeah, we had, like, the same model doing a similar thing. We're like, wow. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I photographed a woman named Mari Morrow, who's an actress, who's been in a bunch of movies and stuff, and, and she's this long, curly hair, and I don't know what it, I just had a moment where I was like, you know, can you throw your hair? Yeah. And she did it. And I got lucky. I happened because I was kind of a new photographer at the time, somewhat yeah. new. Um, and I hadn't fully found my my line yet. Yeah. Um, and I just happened to have the, slow, the, uh, have the camera setting on manual. Happened to have the slutter, shutter speed a little slower. Yeah. And I just got a drag. Yes. And it I was like, so cool. I love it. Wait a minute. 
The hair stuff. I'm all about the hair stuff yeah. and the movement. I always make people shake their hair. I think it's like, it also just gets people to relax and mm. like feel free. Yeah, and yeah, you get that. yeah, and yeah. It, yeah, you get the subluxation out of your neck. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I know. Um, the weirder you get in photo shoots, the more comfortable. <laughs> <you get. laughs> the more content you can get. Yeah, right, I love that's it. awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna be very weird the next time. I can't be see. I can't be too weird. You know what we right? should do. We should do an art show together. We should do a shoot mm. and then do an art show. Together. I bet you have enough material right now to have an art show. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I'm just saying it'd be fun to collab. And then have a theme for it. Yeah, like movement. You had me at movement. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Freaking I just I love it. to shoot with people. It's fun. Yeah. I haven't I haven't done that. Really? Yeah, I've always been a very kind of um, independent, kind of fly on the wall. I love that kind of stuff. Like, honestly, you know, back to the George Floyd circumstance. Yeah. The weird, the weird, it said the weird things. I felt a sense of odd calmness mm -hmm. in that environment. And even though it was so raging, I felt a sense of calmness, and which allowed me to be able to shoot the, the way I did. Um, Interesting. Is it like kind of like a... Um like almost like you're watching a movie, but it's your real life, and you're seeing everything. And yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I, I kind of think sometimes about you know, uh, photojournalists who are in the Ukraine right now, not the mm -hmm. Ukraine in Ukraine right now, and uh, anyway, it's nothing like that. No one's it's dropping crazy. bombs, but yeah. uh, but it was kind of war zony, and I I got into a, a calmness space, and I realized it too, and I, and I realized it like. Hey, don't let this calmness get you in trouble. Yeah. Understand, you are still in a very hostile environment. Keep your head on the swivel and keep your eyes open, and you know, trust your your instincts. You know, yeah. uh, safety first. You can come back and get a shot some other time. You don't. You don't need that particular shot, right? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, having that sense of calmness did allow me to focus in a way in which I wasn't freaking out. You know. Yeah. Um, but I'm used to shooting. Uh, uh, by myself and being kind of uh, yeah totally not, not thinking about anything else yeah. you know well um, I guess I am too I I only I like to do fun projects with people though and collab but I get that I think photography is a very solo journey it's a solitary experience yeah yeah um, but I'm more than open to figuring it out yeah. <laughs> I just like to get artists together and do a bunch of weird stuff that's cool no I you know what maybe that's exactly what I need because I've never had that experience before yeah, yeah. Get, I'm totally down my thing is I get weird with food so every once in a while I'll do like a, a group food I call it food porn hashtag food porn photo shoot yeah <laughs> and so hence the food theme I like to photograph food so we just it's really cool because I like to take I, I like like it's partially my idea but when I when I do these shoots it's everybody making art and it's so cool like most of the stuff that I photograph are the models and everybody's ideas and it's so great to see people come together and like turn food into props or like you know like it's just so cool like uh, one girl had like jelly beans crying into a cup and, like, <laughs> into awesome. a cup of jelly beans yeah and I just seeing everybody come together and be creative and like I was just the photographer and like everybody else made the art so I can't even be like this is my work technically I'm like no it's like a giant collab like I just showed up and was like let's get some food <laughs> I'm totally down to do it you know another thing I would really like to do especially with you because I know you get it 
late night in downtown. Yeah. You know? And just see what happens. Yes. See what we find. Oh my gosh. Because it's a really cool... I like the way... And, you know, being somewhat new here, I still am really affected by the aesthetic of the city at night versus daytime. Mm -hmm. Like I went... Just a few nights ago, I went to get a pizza at Pizza Lucci. Yeah. Right? And uh, they don't deliver to where I live, which is a real big bummer. So I had to go pick it up. And I remember just looking around when I was driving going, huh, the bridge and the freeway. Yeah. You know, the homeless guy laying on the ground smoking a crack pipe. I saw that. It's just little details that during the day you don't really catch. You know, um, yeah, just little behaviors and aesthetics around those behaviors yeah. that uh, during the day doesn't have the same punch. It is, yeah. yeah. There is definitely like a day vibe and a night vibe. Yeah. I think maybe that's every city, but sure, it's sure. definitely different in Minneapolis. It's, it's different here, and at the same time, it's it's big, but it's small enough where I can still, yeah. you can still um, concentrate on isolating something that you want to kind of yeah. somewhat not control, but capture in a way in which that's within your preview. New York City is beautiful at night. So much, man. Where do you start? When do you stop? Where do you go? Where do you not go? Yeah. It's everything, right? But this has a little, this is like Chicago. It's like that. I was in Chicago recently and I didn't have my Nikon with me, but I had my cell phone. Yeah. And I was just at night just going around going, God, this city is so cool at night. Yeah. Um, and Minneapolis has that vibe too. Yeah. Especially if you go to certain well, areas. Well, don't go to St. Paul. St. Paul? Why? Have you been there at night? The dangerous? No, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they go to sleep. <laughs> well, I do notice I can't get food delivered after 9.30 in, in, in Minneapolis. Yeah, it's, it's kind yeah. of a bummer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's like get your food before it gets 9.30 because you won't be eating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good to know about St. Paul, though. Yeah, you'll be, you'll uh, thank be you for bored. That. Waste of your time, <laughs> a real big waste. <laughs> LA's like that too, though. Yeah. I mean, LA's got this unique. It's unique. It's the only place within a what a 500 mile radius or, or 200 mile radius. Yeah. Where you can have the ocean and the beach, oh. the mountains and snowing, the city oh. and the desert, wow. all in the same That's radius. That's crazy. Yeah. But not the funnest place to shoot, in my view. Some people love shooting in Southern California. Yeah. To me, it just seems like okay. Yeah. We shot it. It's shot. Yeah. yeah. We got palm trees. We got the Hollywood sign. Yeah. So yeah, because I'm not big on like taking pictures of nature. Um, I like to enjoy nature and photograph people. Like that's like I. Don't, but but people who do nature photography, I love. And I do I do a little bit of nature. I like like macro and like doing sure. stuff like that. I love textures on like plants and getting the close-ups. But. So I don't know if that's like similar to you. It sounds like because it sounds like too like you're fascinated by like what these guys are doing or like you know at night like people. Is that true or do you like like what is your subject? Behavior. Yeah. I just it's behavior. If I can capture authentic behavior, I love or that. Authentic moment happening. I uh, love that. But you know, to your point, uh, I started off shooting flowers because that was controllable, right? Yeah. And I think because of that. Yeah, and I had a friend who was a, a great guy who was so kind to come over to my house and take the time to teach me how to use Lightroom. Um, I was able to pull textures out of those initial images. And
And now I've just expanded on that where, you know, Lightroom and Photoshop mobile. Yeah. I can take a picture of something, even on my cell phone, yeah. of a flower and pull out what I want to pull out and detail. I want to detail and play with it and do the layers and all that business. That's a whole other art form. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I could take a picture that's too dark and not too great. Mm -hmm. And I can manipulate it all day long and get it to something that's kind of artful, right? Um, but I don't like to do that. Mm -hmm. and I like to shoot something where the edits just kind of support what I've already shot. Ideally, that's, I think, my view as a photographer to shoot. Same, right? I like raw better. Right, absolutely, but, truthful. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's truthful. And then some people over they oversaturate, they over edit, like they don't need, a, the image is beautiful, yeah, you don't need to do all I that. Feel, yeah. yeah, I want to see the flaws on your You've face. You've been watching too many cartoons. Yeah. It's not a cartoon, I, it's a real I like. Shot, so. I love to see the way like a person looks for all their flaws, or mm -hmm. like, which I don't consider flaws, they're mm -hmm. right. media standard flaws, you know, right. whatever, so I don't know, I love that, so I don't want to Photoshop all your zits or your scars. Well, or, I don't know how to use Photoshop, mm -hmm. I mean, I, the, the Photoshop mobile, which is not Photoshop, yeah. Photoshop. Photoshop, yeah. that's a whole, like, this people taking out the background and putting, or putting a, you know, a cliff and a waterfall coming out of your head. Yeah. Like, that's Which, an amazing art it's form. It's an art, yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. I get it. it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I don't know how to do that. And yeah. I'm not inspired, more importantly, I'm not same. inspired to do yeah, that. Yeah, same. You know? Um, and I th yeah, and with photography, there are different elements. Like, I've seen, like, I think I have so much respect for people who do that take like a picture on a plain background and then turn it into some fantasy and it's mm -hmm. like and again that's it's it's a different form of art i think that's more of like um you know like a painting a digital painting almost right. and combining different like elements but and some people do do that and they print them and they sell those prints and they're so great and they're fantastic yeah i just don't want to do that me neither <laughs> i feel like we do have a lot in common yeah, with our style yeah so that's yeah what is, your, what is your favorite thing to shoot so, I mean, yeah, I know people, and but yeah, um, I really like like um, uh, street photography. That's my favorite. Yeah, okay. I yeah, would have me to too. say, yeah, me too. okay, <laughs> me too. yeah, like New Nothing York like was it. just like the best time. I've been there once, and it was. You've been in New York once. For how and, long? And it was an, and it was a mistake. It was an accident. It sounds so silly. It was an accident. Was it a long I, flight? Or? I got a little drunk over Christmas and decided to book myself a flight because I've never been. And I woke up the next morning. I was like, oh, shoot, I did that? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm going to go. New York. <laughs> and, I, and the thing is, is I had to work all those days <laughs> at a bar. So I had a quick scramble and find somebody to take my shifts. And then I did. And then I had to find a place to stay. Quick found an Airbnb. Oh, and in New York, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, and I found it, and it was really cool. It was, like, bunking with this model and, like, another family. You're attracting models. Yeah, and so <laughs> we had, I had, I had a time of my life. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Do you, uh, what area were you in in the city? Um, okay, I stayed in, it was, like, four or five years ago, I don't even remember exactly. Right. It's Gotham. If it's the only time you went, you're not probably going to remember it. Yeah, I, my memory is so shot. Um, I know it was in Manhattan, and I do, let's see, I, what did I even do? I, 
I tried to like hit up the things that you have to do in New York. Like yeah. I got like Times pizza. Square and yeah. Pizza, raised pizza. pizza yeah. Times Square. Mm-hmm. Got like I remember I got the best bowl of ramen in oh, Times Square, yeah. like over somewhere over there. It was so great. I wonder where you went. I yeah. sardined in like next to people. It was so great. Like it was so fun. I was just there. And uh, walked over the Brooklyn Bridge. Went to um Grocery. Um, what's that music venue? Arlene's Grocery. Oh, I'm not familiar with oh, Arlene's okay. Grocery. Oh, that, that sounds really cool. Saw a band there. Photographed wow. them. Fantastic. Um, did a lot of street photography. Yeah. And I also, cause, um, cause I'm a weirdo. I'm like, let me contact people from New York. So I, I did, I did wedding photography a lot, like 20 weddings a year for like four years. Oh wow. Is, Good money. Uh, yeah, it was a lot, a lot though. Yeah. yeah. And one of the places, because I got a little un- disorganized, and I forgot that I was going up north for a for a wedding, and it was a really late wedding, so I just last minute like saw if I could get an Airbnb somewhere, and this girl from New York was booking her mother's home for like an Airbnb, and I was oh. her first guest ever, mm. and so like I had this connection with this girl, I became friends with her and stuff, so I called her up, I was like. Like a week later, I was like, "I'm gonna be in New York." <laughs> like, so we had mimosas and nice. out. It was super fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. So. I have a theory about New York City. What's that? I think that every U.S. American citizen, mm-hmm. in order to acquire or keep your citizenship, yeah, it should be required to live in New York City for a two-year period. Oh. Yes, New York is the only place I can think of that is got a little bit of everybody. And it's on an island. <laughs> you cannot move to uh, further out to get away from these brown people. Yeah. You can't move over there to get away from these Jewish people. You can't move over here and move go 50 miles in a different direction and get, get away from all these gay people. Yeah, you have <laughs> to. All I mean, have that's to live hilarious. You all have to live together. And they're stuck together and they have to figure it out. <laughs> and guess what? They do. Oh my gosh, I love it. We all do get along. Yeah. Don't we? Yes. And yes, we have our little subsets. You have your little Italy, you have your Chinatowns, you have your Indian Row, you have your so Harlem, awesome. Upper East Side. You have all these different seg- seg- sections of culture. Yeah. But we all get to intermingle and learn about each other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we do. And I we get love along it. Great. Right? Yeah. So I, I think the country. Needs to be the world would be a better place yeah. if everyone had to deal with that for a minute. It's like Israel, like you got to be in the military, yeah. no matter who you are. Yeah, that's how we roll. Right, the and they just years, yeah, you, you have to figure it out, like grow up. Yep, <laughs> you're in the military, yeah. man and woman. Period. Yeah. You're gonna serve for a period mm-hmm. before you know you can do whatever else. You are gonna commit to that. And here and we just have to all live in New York City. Yeah, just have to, on <laughs> um, you know, obviously have a rotation, but you know, yeah, um, I think. Um, because, I mean, I lived in Europe for a while, but living in New York, I lived in New York for 14 years. And, yeah. you know, I got to tell you, the experiences I had of that place, the yeah. way I've learned living in that place, I learned more there. Yeah, I was there longer, but I learned more there about uh, the human condition yeah. and connecting with people and, and giving room and space for people who were unlike me. Yeah. No other place taught me like that. I mean, they put this way. It's a typical day in New York City. Yeah, I want to hear this. Come out of my apartment. There's a bunch of Puerto Rican kids and Dominican kids on my stoop. They don't even live in my building. 
Really? They're hanging out. <laughs> they do it every day in the spring and summer. Right? Yeah. Uh, getting to know them. Yeah. You know? Uh, they live on the block around the corner and yeah. this and that. But I go through them, I get onto my street. There's 50 people on my side of the street. There's 50 people on the other side of the street. I go to the subway, go on the, into the subway station, and there's 25 to 35 people on the platform waiting for the train. Yeah. I don't know these people. Yeah. Train comes. Doors open, I get on the train. If it's not crowded, I sit down between two people who I do not know. Right. But I'm rubbing shoulders and yeah. hips with them. Yeah. Right? This is pretty much the theme of my entire day yeah. in terms of being uh, um, uh, saturated with other people. Mm-hmm. And usually, more often than not, at some point during that day, every day, a conversation breaks out. Yeah. And it's critical. Yeah. It's provocative. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm fed. I hopefully feed. Uh, yeah. And hey, man, that's, you know, it's energy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what makes that city so great. Yeah. You know? um, no other city in America is like that and has that type of, oh. you know, honesty, too. I mean, yeah. someone will cuss you out, cuss you out to your face. They yep. don't want to harm that's, you. And that, okay, I, my personality. <laughs> They'll tell you to your face what they was, think. That was my favorite part about that place. <laughs> that was my favorite oh part my because gosh. it was like fast paced, like, yeah. Tell me to hurry up. Speak your mind. Yeah, like, I mean. Oh, is this person taking too long to order their food? Hurry up. Yeah, definitely. They will tell like, you the truth. Passive aggressive yep. Minnesota. Get out. <laughs> yeah, is it Minnesota nice? Is that what it is? Is that what it is? We like to think that, but it's Minnesota passive aggressive. Ah. Um, okay. It's, it's like, okay, I if think you, I can see that. Yeah, if you okay. go to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. they're nice. They're nice. Okay. Like, they'll, like, bump a wall and be like, sorry. <laughs> oh, so sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, like it's, they'll be knocking on your door, and you're like, oh, oh no, what, what's going on now? They're like, oh, I just want to let you know I, I just uh, shoveled your driveway. <laughs> oh, that's it? We need okay. more Wisconsin yeah. people. We're oh, yeah. supposed to all yeah. this snowing. <laughs> Well, I, I got to tell you, with L.A. is none of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> L.A. is, um, and I'm speaking because it's just my home, and I love yeah. it, and I want it to be better. Yeah. But um, the natives of L.A. are great. Yeah. Right? Uh, but it's people who come from other places that have a uh, notion of what L.A. is, mm. and they portray that when they come to Los Angeles. Um, and those are the ones you're like, oh, really? What are you doing? Just yeah. what are you doing? You know? If they came to like live a life, yeah, a lifestyle, you know, and you, they think they're cool. And yeah, and that's why people say, oh, yeah, LA is so phony. Yeah, that space of it yeah. is that's what makes it phony. Now, there is the other thing that it is really a desert mm-hmm. and it's manufactured, right? Mm-hmm. It just happens to be along the coast. It's just, yeah. But it's still the desert, yeah. right? And that's why when earthquakes happen, it's so damaging because it's sand, it's soft, mm-hmm. right? The ground's soft. The other thing is palm trees don't grow there. Oh. <laughs> oh. They're imported from Mexico. Wow, I didn't they, know that. They can live there, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you'll never see a baby palm tree in Southern California. Oh, crazy. You notice how they're all planted very strategically and well placed? Yeah. Because they're all planted. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, they lo- it looks so perfect. I yeah, mean, so, and again, and I've never been to LA, so I just didn't. Yeah, even with you can see from the pictures. Yeah, yeah. but when you go there, you will never videos, see a yeah. little sprouting palm tree. You will Crazy. never see that. Yeah, I mean, wow. that's, those those are from tropical environments. Like, 
They they survive well and they do well in Southern California, but they are not native of yeah, Southern California. People take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. and the, the climate yeah. does does sustain them. Oh, they do. Okay. Uh, but they're not native there. And then also the water is being shipped from up north for the most part, right? Yeah. Um, so it's really a manufactured place. So maybe yeah, it's phony because the foundation of it is. Because it is phony. Yeah. It's like yeah. a Barbieville. And then there's that. <laughs> and then there's Hollywood. That yeah. just really corrupts the mindset of a lot of people. You know? Yeah. And it's tragic because um, my theater, I went to theater school in New York, and mm-hmm. um, I, my acting teacher used to say this. I had her for two years. Amazing woman, Maggie Flanagan from the William Esper Studios. Amazing. Uh, but she used to say often that only 2% of SAG actors are actually working actors. Two percent. Two percent. Two percent, and that's pretty accurate. Why? So all these actors running yeah. around, they're, you know, they're working at restaurants and they're doing yeah. other things, and they better be. Yeah. Because, you know, you're trying to be a star. You're trying to think you're, you know, it's not happening. Wow. Go off off Broadway and be a working actor and just, you know, enjoy yeah. it. You know, but very rarely do you have somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, 2%. That's really low. Yeah. Well, you think how many actors there are and how many... It's just not enough space. Right. So... Do, do actors there they get like small gigs and stuff sometimes like just like because there are a lot of like smaller parts and commercials and yeah. stuff like that um, I, I did commercials mm-hmm. I mean, I'm theater trained I did some theater in New York while I was there but um, I knew my home was going to be television so I yeah. came back to California and yes I was booking commercials like eating cornflakes it was I, it was lucrative I loved yeah. it then I became a dad and a single dad, and my priorities changed. Yeah, but um, you need more stability. Uh, yeah, and I couldn't be taking risks. If it's just me, I'll take risks. And, yeah, and who knows? It might have worked out. And, and stuff. And you know, WB was calling me and on stuff. Yeah. And I did some. To your point, there are different facets of of working actors. So you can do your commercials, mm-hmm. which is great because you usually have the audition, a callback, and the day of work. Maybe yeah. a fitting splashed in there. Three, four days tops. Yeah. And you're getting checks for two years. It's a great gig. Nice. Right? Yeah, great yeah. gig. You also have like soap operas and uh, TV shows. You have, um, yeah, obviously you can be an extra, right? If you want to be a professional actor, you have to be careful about that because cast and directors are like, oh, yeah, this guy booked him as an extra a lot. And they kind of pigeon you in that. Oh, right? that's not good. Yeah, so um, that used to be a thing. I don't know if it's a thing now, but sure. a lot of serious actors kind of try to stay away from you know being an extra yeah um or then you have the next step up which is a uh, under five which i did a lot of under five stuff so i've yeah. been on young and restless and guiding light and all these other little tv shows where to have two or three lines yeah but if you are more than five or you hit five lines or more then you get into another pay pay bracket so they have to you know they try to keep you under five if they don't need you yeah but sometimes you're on set and you're doing stuff I've, I've had two jobs where i had under five and said a couple lines and the director was like talking with the writers and all that next thing you know i've got eight or nine lines because they like what i was doing oh nice right? and i mean it just it fit it wasn't all about me it was yeah. just what i was doing fit into something i always said soap operas are funny mm. because soap operas really every scene is to set up the next scene is this information to set up the next scene 
because they have to continue that going. Yeah. And I, I couldn't imagine being a writer for a soap opera. Oh, God. You got to keep the story There's going. So, How do I keep the story yeah. going? Have him say this. Have him say that. You got to keep the story going. Yeah. And you, if you understand, you're just a facilitator of information. Oh, my gosh. Shove some behavior in there if you can. Yeah. But you're just you're setting up the next scene. Have right? you ever been in a soap opera? Several. Oh, my gosh. But, but usually under fives. I've had a few or... You know, I've been, I've done a scene with Susan Lucci. Yeah, um, wow. <laughs> she's a very sweet lady, by the way. Cool. Super sweet. Um, I haven't seen her in like a decade, but she yeah. was super sweet the times I, I worked with her twice. Yeah. And I'm going to digress off me. The very first job I did, mm -hmm. right, was a music video for Donny Osmond. <laughs> What? <laughs> it was, um, but but it was, he was, I guess, in the midst of trying to make a comeback. He'd yeah. come out with his album, his record. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, the, the, it was a music video for one of his songs. Yeah. Yes, Donny Osmond makes me I, I mean, um, it is late, right? It is late. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Donny Osmond's uh, doing this video. Mm -hmm. Michael Bay is directing it. Yeah. Michael Bay of um, of uh, Born uh, was it? He did um, uh, Transformers and Bad Boys yes. and all okay. that. This is before he was yeah. big. Right? Yeah. So and it's all connected. Like uh, the production company was um, Propaganda Films. Propaganda oh. Films was doing Twin Peaks at the time, right? Yeah. So all these up and comers, right, are yeah. working on this project for Donny Osmond, right? I get booked on this music video, right? Yeah. I'm like, ooh, my got a music video I'm doing. Donny Osmond, <laughs> so right? So cool. So cool, right? So the music video was um, all these extras, sea of people at yeah. this uh, dry lake bed in, in Van Nuys, California. Yeah. Um, and he had like maybe about 10 people in front of the big crowd, which I was one of these people. Mm -hmm. And we were the principal performers, right? And it was basically like a, a live performance of this video, of this song, and it was like a, a road warrior Welcome to the Terra Dome type thing. He's had oh. these dancers and they've got the mud and the, the flowy half clothes on and the wind's blowing and all that stuff. Oh. And it was like that. It was super hot. It was August in LA, super oh. dry. And we're there for a few hours. And then finally they say, okay, we're going to make it rain. And they bring in these vat trucks, gas trucks with water and they shoot water in the air at us. What? Right? So it's raining and we're dancing and they did it in oh. slow motion. Right? It's cool looking. Yeah. Right? But the dirt on the ground. The sun, we're baking in the sun all day. Oh, yeah. Then there's mud from now the water. Oh. It's just a gross day, gross. right? Yeah. Well, the principal performers, when we're done, we wrap for the day. The principal performers are put, we, we all pile into this little minivan. Yeah. But there's like 10, 12 school buses where they herded in all these people, right? I bring this uh -huh. up because it taught me something. Yeah. Donny Osmond came to our van and thanked us, which oh. I really appreciated, yeah. right? And, you know, he walks out. And I keep watching him. You know what he did? What? He went to every single bus Aww. and thanked everybody. That's so cool. That's Donny Osmond. He's right? a nice guy. He's a great dude. Yeah. And I, if I ever, never saw him again in my life. Yeah. But if I ever saw him again, I'd tell him, hey, man, thank you for doing that because you told me if I ever got big, yeah. don't lose the fact that you're not better than anybody. No. He and taught me that. Yeah. Right? He didn't have to do that. He could have just been he like, just left. Bye. No one expected Bye. him to do that. No one would have thought twice about it. Right. But he actually influenced me without yeah. even 
saying anything to me other than hey man thank you I really appreciate it yeah. you know in contrast a couple years later maybe three or four years later yeah I uh, uh, what's her name uh, Roseanne Barr mm-hmm. Roseanne Barr had a talk show a little bit after the Roseanne Barr show she had a talk show for a little stint yeah right? and uh, one little thing she had on one episode she was in Neiman Marcus on uh, Wilshire Boulevard and Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills right yeah. and she had two models in tuxedos and white gloves fawning over her all through the, through the Neiman Marcus and this is a gag right yeah. so me and this other model were the two that were doing this with her and I spent about two and a half to three hours with Roseanne Barr as close as we're sitting together Wow. Roseanne Barr never said a word to me what? Didn't acknowledge, acknowledge my existence for three hours. And what? And and I'm thinking about Donny Osmond in the back of my head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? Actually, let's let's test this. Yeah. I could have said, "How you doing, Miss Barr, Mrs. Barr, whatever." You know, I could have yeah. broke the ice. And I said, yeah. "No, actually, I'm gonna wait." Yeah. Just see if she says something. Let's see. And I and I realized we're an hour in. She's not gonna say anything to me, so oh I, I, and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything, anything to her anyway, because maybe she doesn't want to be spoken to. Which right. I, okay, right. So I didn't say anything, and we never, we literally never spoke. She never what? said thanks. Hey, this was fun, or nothing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So those are that's the, the yeah. dichotomy, the, the difference, yeah. you know. And it's like I, Does I she, learned both sides of it, and how think, it makes people feel. Yeah. Do you think that? Like, she expected you to say something first because of who she is? Or, and like, being like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Or... No, I think... Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I don't know. Right. But but I would assume mm-hmm. she wants not say to me. She just didn't. Yeah. For whatever reason she was working with, uh, I don't have time for these guys. Oh, yeah. Like, um, uh, or they're just... I, don't, I don't know if it was race. I don't know. I, I'm not saying it Who is. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But I knew I could feel. You could feel. Yeah, like that they're like clearly yeah, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't, you know. You could tell when someone wants you to say something to them. Yeah, right? yes. That's why I ask and you because you get vibes. Like, right. you know, and the vibe was you, you don't, don't exist. I don't want to yeah. talk to you. I don't want to, you know. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always treat people well. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when a person is in a position of power like that, yeah, you know, it really puts the other person at an uncomfortable... And I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? When the camera's turned on, I had to be, hey, and fawning over her and, oh, no, don't, dusting that off, That's... hand it to her. Oh, yeah, and the, she wants two more, two more. Get it right. Yeah. And doing that kind of stuff, yeah. you know. But she's not talking to me, and I, I couldn't Scary. imagine how much full and rich almost, my mini little performance I mean, would have been if she was cool. It kind of you know? feels like, like, you know, weird. Like you're, like she has her help. You know, it feels weird. It did. Yeah. yeah, it did. Thank God the other guy, the other model wasn't black. Yeah, yeah, because that would feel real. <laughs> I would, no, I would have said, yeah. yeah, no, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, no. You know, I, speaking of that, I was in London once, and. Um, uh, my agency there told, uh, sent me to a job to shoot with the photographer in the studio. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Oh. I know, it's getting and, uh, <laughs> Anyway, so um, I get there, and this was during apartheid, yeah. right? And he wanted to do a shot where uh, it would be like broken glass. And it was a creative idea, but it would be a guy who was an African 
with the kind of Nazi, I don't know if you know their emblem, but it looks like a swastika, but it's broken. Mm-hmm. Wearing that and like a Gestapo outfit, choking me while I'm sitting in a chair and me looking terrified. But he wanted to kind of manipulate the... Like a broken glass in front of right. it or something? I or? get it, but I said, mm, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I just. You're not the guy. I, I'm not the guy. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you have to do. You can't. My just, mom may see that. Yeah. You know, right. Just, yeah. Like yeah. no. Yeah. 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 You gotta. You gotta create boundaries with your. Yeah. yeah. Another time in San Diego, I got booked on a job, and I got that they want me to put a clown suit on. Oh. Yeah, no. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> right, boundaries. No. <laughs> yeah, boundaries. Boundaries. That's way over boundary, dude. Encroaching. I don't care what the scenario is. I would not be putting a rubber. No. No. No, we won't be doing. <laughs> no minstrelsy will be happening. You're like that's no, not. No step and fetch. We won't be doing. <laughs> <laughs> any of that business <laughs> oh my gosh that is really funny yeah I, yeah That's, I, I do have you know I do have some you know some places where I draw the line yeah. like you know yeah yeah will I be around that hangout with Roseanne Barton a tuxedo white gloves like a servant I did do that you unfortunately did, yeah, I did you do didn't that. know that would you do it again oh new no <laughs> <laughs> I would not do plus another thing too um, you know, when you're young, you don't, you know, understand. Yeah. You know, I uh, one commercial opportunity popped up for Levi's. Mm-hmm. I was super excited. Yeah. And the director, a photographer friend of mine was there, who was actually a. Um, um, they were already shooting the commercial, mm-hmm. and this guy, ironically, his name was Gene as well. The the guy directing mm-hmm. saw me in some jeans that I had, riding in tears and stuff. He's like, ah, oh, we gotta gotta shoot him sky. We gotta get this guy in the commercial, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, all right. But hold on, his name is Gene. Yeah. You're Gene, mm-hmm. and you're I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> oh, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> I was like, there's you're, a lot of jeans good. happening. <laughs> Sorry. Good. This story. It's a hat trick. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, and with that, um, I uh, he said, hey, why don't we have you do this? Why don't we have you? Because um, he had all these. Harley guys wearing yeah. jeans, long hair, and this yeah. guy, he was kind of a rock guy too. Yeah. And he was like, hey, let's have Gene walk in front of them, right? And I'll be panning just on his jeans, right? And when they get right in the center camera, I'll pan up, and you look in the camera and go, yeah, we wear them too. <laughs> and I was about to do it. I didn't know. And my, this photographer who was there, this guy, he, he passed away oddly at a young age, but African American man, his name was Michael. Yeah. And he said, Gene, you are not doing that. No. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I whoa. He's like, oh my you're gosh. not doing no. that, dude. Yeah. And he went over to the other Gene. I was like, cursing him out. Like, how dare you? The hell. Yeah. Right? No. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so bad. I was about to yeah. do something so bad. So bad. That would have been really bad. Yes. Yeah, but when you're young, you don't really. Uh, yeah process that yeah. i mean now the moment that would be said like, to me other than how dare you i know my righteous indignation would have went through the roof what and again <laughs> why do we think like that it's young we're like chill we're like babies adult babies we're like just goes to show you no child is born racist or prejudiced right right and there was just innocence i didn't know yeah. i'm just like yeah we wear them too yeah, yeah. In the commercial i wear them too checks. like yeah yeah <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh my gosh. It's so bad. In front of the Harley guys on top of that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like that someone oh jumped my God. in. Yeah, it was. Thank he saved my life. He yeah. totally saved my life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he saved my career probably too. <laughs> I couldn't go back to my own neighborhood. Doing that. <laughs> Thank God for that guy. Say, oh my God, you're not doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know that that's. <laughs> I mean, well, I didn't even talk to you about talk about modeling. I didn't yeah. even talk to you about um, how race plays into it. I mean, it's it's yeah. very um, it's very kind of deep. You know? Well, uh, I always um, okay. Let me just start with this: the um, the advertising industry mm-hmm. in in this space, the yeah. actual production of of images for advertising mm-hmm. has never been tapped on by the discrimination act law is not governed by any of it because no one it's a blind spot right so um and the interesting thing about it is is that it is so blatantly obvious open up any catalog open up any fashion magazine how many black people do you see you usually see one maybe two if you like that's and that's right the, yeah so so that's um that's people say oh well there's black person in there okay and that's true right but here's what the institutional racism plays into it it's not just because oh they don't use us as much no it's actually a financial hindrance in comparison give you a perfect example so i used to work for eddie bauer a lot right for about three four years great client loved them they loved me it was fantastic they're good great people right they fly me in to seattle or like I said earlier, Bodega Bay, California, or Madison, Wisconsin, wherever they're yeah. shooting. And they shoot all around the country. They fly me all over. It was great. And my, I would come in. I'd have one day booking. I'd be giddy. I get to fly somewhere. Yeah. I get, I'd leave with a voucher for fifteen hundred dollars. That was a day rate at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm happy, but I, in truth, I would fly in, say Seattle, right? And uh, oh, after a while, start doing this. I start telling my agency, hey, guess what? I still got a travel day, either yeah. before or after. They should be booking me for a two-day minimum. And they agreed, mm-hmm. to their credit. Right. So I would come in. I would still only work one day, but I get paid 3000 now, right? Because I couldn't work one of those days, so I'm flying. Right. I'm traveling, right? Right. Plus, coming out of New York. Um, the point is, is I would fly in, and a very good friend of mine, a guy named Julian, British guy, yeah. Beautiful guy, inside and out. Yeah. Love Julian. Yeah. Flying in town, he made you here, let's go drinks. <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, he would be tired. Yeah. Because he's been there four days. He's going to be there the two days I'm there. And then two days after. Then he's going to go to another part of the country to shoot covers for the Japanese, uh, co- Japanese catalogs. Then he's going to go to. I don't know, Maine to shoot another unique catalog they're doing and coming out with. So he's complaining he's so tired and misses his wife, but I'm like, dude, you're making 18 grand in two weeks. I'm making three. So there's your institutional yeah. issue, yeah. right? And even on set, you know, on location, yeah. I'm in a motorhome on my laptop most of the time, reading or reading a book. Julian's got eight to 10 shots, I got two. Right? Yeah, like they just fit you in. Like I they, said, they, like they haven't made they, them any, as many shots for me. Just Hence, I don't need to be him. there as many days as him. He's getting, he's got more shots. You can't get all the shots they need for the catalog with him on the minimal days that I'm sure. there. So there, there it is, right? So, yeah. do you think that's changed 
And all since you've I don't know. Been, let's look at catalogs because yeah. again, it right. literally will tell you the the story. You can look, and my family got it after I started explaining this. They're yeah, like, They're yeah, like, honey. Oh, I'm wow. looking. My mom will go, wow, yeah. you're in here like three, four times, but yeah, your friends. They're oh, and now I don't see you it for like eight, ten sense. pages, that and now that you are again. That's you know. It should be that's split evenly through everybody, or like yeah, you know. Yeah, but you know that's how it's always been. So. Um, That's that sucks. I think the hardest part is when I was in New York City, living in New York, killing it, killing it, right? Um, and my agency was called Omar's Men, right? And it was one agency but two names. The men's part was called Omar's Men. The women's part was called It Models. But it was one agency, and these two guys were very unique, and they had a lot of supermodels and the whole thing, right? Um, I felt very blessed and lucky to be with this agency. Well, the two owners, Omar and the guy Paul, who owned it, they had a falling out, right? Yeah. So Omar closed his men's division in New York City. Hence, I don't have an agency in New York. I'm in theater school. I've got four or five commercials running. i got a savings. Okay. Yeah. I can take my time. Right. I got to make a, a change. Yeah. Um, so I go to all the agencies in New York. They all tell me no. Okay. But I'm good. Checks are coming in the mail constantly. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not hurting in any shape, form, or fashion. I'm good. Yeah. About a month later, I'm focused on my class. A month later, I do. do I get, they all tell me no. Yeah. Now I'm starting to get a little tickled. Okay, so I'm like, hmm, okay, maybe we need to kind of look at this a little bit. So I call my old agent, Omar, and say, hey, Omar, can you make appointments? Because everyone in the industry loves Omar. Can you make some appointments for me? I'm thinking coming in on his shirt tail, people will, will respect it more, right? Yeah. And then we start peeling back the onion, mm -hmm. right? And I got one of two things consistently. It was, you know, there's really not any work for black models in this industry. That was the first one. What? Or the other one was, oh my God, it's uncanny. We took on a model just a couple weeks ago or two months ago. Oh my God, you guys could be twins. I look at the guy. Oh dear. He's completely oh dear. different than me. Uh, oh <laughs> so I was like, okay. Gosh. Wow. And wow. now, now I'm starting to get into my savings mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, my girlfriend at the time was in Miss Saigon, the musical, dancer, yeah. right? And she had a one-woman show called Little Miss Buddha, which was yeah. dealing with racism towards uh, Asian women. Yeah. So I'm thinking, do I call Dateline and have them private? You know, they used to do that stuff and, you know, yeah. secretly go in these eight and go places <laughs> and, and watch them behave without being realized, with them, uh, them realizing they're being recorded. And That's you so can cool. see how they really behave. I was thinking about calling Dateline, see mm -hmm. if they'd want to do that, <laughs> or writing a book, yeah. which I actually did explore. Um, and uh, I said, hey, you need to come with me to these agencies. And I go, got, yeah. someone else needs to see this, right? Yeah. So she came with me. And I think by the fourth agency of hearing this stuff, yeah. she could tell I was being combative with the agents, right? And she said, you know, this is, this is, I can't take this. I don't know how you're dealing with it. it could, I'm going to pull the cord. We're going to stop. Let's go see a movie just to get our minds clear, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, 
were, you don't know New York City, but it's a famous art house theater called The Angelic. And I think it had a TV show, I mean, a channel on cable for a while. Yeah. Um, so we went and saw a film called Basquiat, right? It was about the, the artist, Jean-Michel Basquiat, who's one of my favorite artists. Yeah. And it was, I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, please rent it. Streamline, streaming, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but David Bowie plays Andy Warhol. Okay. Um, I have heard, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Jeffrey Wright mm-hmm. plays Basquiat. I mean, it's, it's just a great cast. Yeah. Right? Well, I'm not telling you the movie by saying this, but at the end, toward the end, uh, Basquiat is just strung out on heroin. He's a heroin addict. Um, and uh, Benicio del Toro's in it too, who's playing his friend. Comes and gets him out of Thompson Square Park, and he's living in a cardboard box, and yeah. strung out. And he goes, oh, "Come on, man!" He gets him in the car, and Basquiat tells him the story. Yeah. And as he tells him the story, it goes into a fantasy of the actual story, right? Oh, yeah. And he's narrating it from this point. Yeah. And he says, he says, uh, he goes, "I don't remember if this is a dream or if my mom told me this story." He's kind of out of it. Yeah. And he says, um, "But it's the story of this little boy." Who's the prince of the land? And it went to the story of this little black kid with a fro, with a crown, right? And he said, um, but this beautiful little prince was uh, captured by the evil ogre of the land and put in a dungeon, right? And the little boy was so frustrated, he, he went all the way up the, the uh, tower, the dungeon tower, and it was one little window right at the top. And he went all, and they, they had this shot of him doing this. Goes up, gets to this window, and he's so frustrated with being in this dungeon that he starts to take his crown and bam it on the bars of the uh, of the window, right? Yeah. And the sound the crown made from hitting the bars was such a beautiful sound that the whole land had to stop and listen. Whoa. This encapsulated my circumstance perfectly. Whoa. And I knew it. We were leaving the theater, and I was like, <laughs> I was holding it in. <laughs> I was holding it in. And I ended up being on the corner, again, if you knew New York City, I ended up being on the corner of Bleecker and Houston, yeah. screaming tears, oh. and my girlfriend rubbing my back. Because I knew that the evil ogre was the agent yeah. who was cutting me off from my livelihood. Yeah. And the clients, they love me. I love them. Yeah. I'm working more than most of the guys you have on your board who happen to not be black. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But because you want a new and improved version of yourself on the wall to represent, yeah. you're saying no to me, even though I would probably be more lucrative than those guys anyway, because I already have established these clients. Right. Right? Right. Um, it's not because I'm better looking or a better model. Yeah. I just have the history. Yeah. You know? Um, and you're cutting me off because you have these prejudicial mindsets it's dumb and literally if i were uh, trying to get a job as a bank teller yeah right or any place yeah if you told me you weren't going to hire me because i'm african-american and you already hired an african-american i would sue your draws off right under the discrimination act law so but how are they getting they, away with yeah, this how are and, they? It's, and a bank teller is not in a magazine snoring super cute um uh it's literally evidence of it right but it's it's right there wow yeah and they get away with it so yes to answer your question uh tokenism is live and well in the modeling industry yeah and i felt there's another aspect to it 
there was a handful of really great black models. I'm friends with all of them still to this day, right? We never worked together. Not once, ever. <laughs> yeah, and that's the part where it just, and even, you know, and I don't know much about the modeling industry, so this, I'm not surprised, but I guess the way I reference it is to movies. And if you look at movies from the 90s and even early 2000s, even maybe even now, but it's like cringy or the way they cast. You're like... Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe? you have an outlier like Bad Boys. Um, we have Will Smith and Martin Lawrence oh, yeah. together. You have your outliers like that. Yeah. Um, there was a Western that just came out with Regina King. It's an all-black cast. That's an all-black cast, an empowerment of black culture and yeah. the West. I get it. But yeah. but you're absolutely right. Just with normal casting, Yeah. Um, I mean, there's different layers and levels to this. I mean, yeah. yes, um, there's the tokenism in it. Mm -hmm. But also there's another thing that's kind of more nefarious, whereas... I call it the lethal weapon syndrome, okay? Mm -hmm. You have uh, a white protagonist mm -hmm. who's flawed, who is supported by his black counterpart. Yeah. And it makes the last uh, uh, Batman uh, Returns, yeah. Morgan Freeman filled that gap. He also filled the gap in Shawshank Redemption. He fills that gap often. Yeah, right? he does. He's good at it. Yeah. Right? Um, so that that happens a lot in films, like where yeah, and we're I think the that's kind of where I'm leading towards. To like say, it's weird, it's cringe. It's like you <laughs> and it, just watching it, I'm like it's so obvious, like what you're doing. I see right. you, I see what you're doing. But, but here. I think like, the deeper question is why is that? Why is that done that way? Why? Yeah, why that's you, a really what's good. What's the core yeah. reason? Because that's in the writing and then in the casting. Yeah. So well, not necessarily in the writing, because you can pretty much put anyone anyone yeah. yeah so in the casting the casting why is that kind of that way and i don't know i'm not really i'm not really hip i don't know like what movies are out now so i don't know if that's still the case i would i would um submit as a black man i think that it it um it's trying to be progressively clever is trying to say hey yeah. me as a this person this white person i'm not perfect though because society is in this environment i everything's afforded to me so but i'm flawed so i'm going to show i'm flawed and show that the person who comes from the debased culture is actually better than me right but that's an epic fail yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that doesn't work yeah right let's just be realistic yeah you know let's not get into trying to curry favor and yeah and manipulate and change things because you're working through some guilt and you know, guilt just, yeah it's almost yeah it's almost like well look look what i did like i <laughs> i did i made this movie with this cat i got a black friend yeah like look what i did i made this oh man and it's, that's the part i'm like ooh. <laughs> Well, you know, it gives me hope that that's something that's recognizable. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see um, that. Like, oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah, so I think probably you and whoever listens to this, all yeah. your viewers, <laughs> will now look at the catalogs they get in the yeah. mail a little differently. Yeah. Because, you know, um, you know I, I, um, I'll show it to you, but I actually didn't make a film about this. Oh, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't make the full film, though um, I have it on paper, mm -hmm. but I did make an eight-minute trailer. Oh, cool. It's called The Space Between Us. 
kind of fitting. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I would have to change the title. It's been like used it. in some other spaces. You know, there's an album called The Space Between Us. I think you, there's another film or two yeah. with that title. I used to but, have a website called The Spaces In Between. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a quite saturated. Yeah. So. I mean, no, it's not. I'm not it, it's just cool. Yeah, I like but it. What is that? You did what now? I just had a website once called Spaces In Between, and I had my photography on it. I don't oh, know why. I just, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes we do things in the creative space, and just it's just we need to creatively flex it and see what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome, though. It's no, awesome. I don't know. I just, I like that phrase is what I was saying. Yeah. It's like, wonderful, right? Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't able to get an agency in New York. Mm-hmm. Here I am, six-figure career in New York City, and I can't get an agency. I mean, I had an agency in Seattle, L.A., yeah. all the places, but New York is a central nervous system for, for models in the modeling right. industry, and I, that's like two-thirds of my income I had to alter, and so my life altered. Yeah. And uh, moved back to California, and I stopped modeling for a while, and went through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought something should be said about that. So yeah. um, to my point earlier, um, I'm just one voice. If I'd have written a book... All it would have been, all it have taken is another opposing opinion. Right. And I put all the effort in for nothing. But I got a bunch of peers who've been through the same experiences as me. So if I have 20 voices saying the same thing, right. that's a little bit more powerful, right? Now, again, is it is it still an issue? Because I feel I'm like so it's not removed. too late. Yeah, you're like, I'm I don't so even, far removed. not I mean, even there anymore. It's not my fight anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not my fight. But, um, I decided to start interviewing some of my peers, and oh, yeah. and uh, I, I happened to be lucky enough to go to Sundance Film Festival that year, mm-hmm. and I went to a documentary kind of summit conversation, and it was these three documentarians who were on a panel speaking, and I, one Asian woman, I think she's Chinese, and she made a documentary about China, in China, and um, she said this, she made this, comment and it, to this day I haven't forgot it she said making a film is like riding a horse that has been broken in has a saddle stirrups the whole thing because you have a writer you have a director you have the actors you can take and cut retake take cut then you have your editing process it's a very controlled environment yeah but when you're a documentarian you're riding a wild horse yeah no bareback the horse is not used to I you. I love that. And it's going to go where it wants to go. You just got to hold on. Yeah. Right? And, and you don't know what the story is going to be necessarily. And if you allow, she said, if you allow that, yeah. your peace will be better than you. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I took that philosophy into making this documentary. What happened was I was angry and I was flexing my anger in this film. And then uh, I interviewed, I had the opportunity to interview uh, Renald White, who was the first black man on the, GQ, on the cover of GQ, right? And he talked about That's cool. something else. He went back, harkened back to the 60s when he first attempted to be a model. Yeah. And guess what? His story was exactly the same as mine. He tried to get an agency, and they all said no. Yeah. And he had to go through a whole thing to oh. get and his first job was a GQ magazine. So that's where my film starts, right? Cool. And then it starts with that story. And then I wanted to go to the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way up through to 
today, yeah. but parallel pop culture and our society's aesthetic with what was going on with politics and uh, race relations at the time. So yeah. you had you had the 30s, you had the 50s, really, you had the 60s and the civil rights movement, you had the 70s and the 80s, and you get into you know black empowerment in the yeah. 80s and early 90s. I wanted to touch on all those things. Yeah. And how did we affect? fashion and culture at that time through that or right. vice versa right so it's like where do I go for that period like Harlem Renaissance you know I can pull archive stuff and yeah. do a narrative and all that stuff and a friend of mine another actor says yeah. hey I know um, uh, oh my god my brain freezing um, the two brothers from the, from the 30s and 40s the acrobatic dancers I can't believe I can't think of their names right Ringo now. Harold, Harold and Fayard Nicholas. So Fayard Nicholas. Oh, okay. The yeah. Nicholas Brothers. Yes, right? I had a different person, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Nicholas Brothers are like who um, everyone fashioned themselves after with with uh, really beautiful dancing with mm-hmm. tuxedos on and stuff, right? Yeah. Acrobats are amazing. Yeah. Out of the Cotton Club, Harlem, right? So a friend of mine says, I know Fayard Nicholas. And I was like, what? Okay, could I reach out, right? So I yeah. reached out to him. Didn't think I would get a response, right? Yeah. Well, his partner, she responds to me. He's very old. And he's literally living maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes from where I live. Whoa. She said, you know what, you can come to his house and interview him. And I was like, oh my God, all right, cool, right? So I meet the man. I'm kind of really in awe of this human yeah. being, right? Um, um, I mean, his brother was married to Dorothy, Dorothy, um, is it Dorothy Dandridge? Yeah, Dorothy Dandridge. Like, it's just his icon, right? Wow. So I'm um, sitting with this man, and I want to talk about style and clothing and the 30s. Yeah. He took me in a completely different direction. Oh. And I was like, I remembered the woman. Let it let you don't control this horse. Yeah. And he said, I have a whole other documentary I can just make on him. But what I did be able, what I, what what I was able to pull out of it. Yeah. Was, you know, on a Sunday in Harlem, you and your partner would dress up. You know. Yeah. You walk down. You want to showcase her and your clothing outfit, and you go buy a five cent soda pop and uh-huh. he talked about this beautiful thing and I thought this is narrative for um, her stock footage of those times in black yeah. and white you know and that's where my film after Renault that's where it goes and works its way back Whoa. up right um, so yeah so and then you know Super cool. while people's mouths are open yeah I'll shove in the discrimination I'll shove in the tokenism I'll get all that in yeah but if you start there and that's all it is, you're gonna repel people. They don't, people don't wanna be hit with that for over an hour. Sure. So why not? It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful people. It's beautiful clothing. It's beautiful photography yeah. and and styling and all that stuff. Yeah. Make it beautiful. Yeah. Because that's what it is. And then be truthful, right? Oh yeah. So I'll show you the the trailer. It's, I would uh, love to. Yeah. yeah. Do you have the whole move, the whole documentary too, on or? paper? And I have all the, still have all the shot on DV. Interesting. Of all of it, I, I've even time coded the interviews. <laughs> I would have to, only thing, only, only um, uh, element that's missing. 
I'd have to go to archive places and pull archive stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Right? I did some of it. I got contacted yeah. ABC because Patrick Kelly is a designer out of Paris who I wanted some stuff from. I got his stuff and some other stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, black models from the 70s. Oh, and cool. I got really cool pictures and images, which I would have to shoot or, or scan in. Yeah. You know. Um, but, you know, I became a dad. Life uh, took a different direction. You yeah, know? crazy. And, what, uh, so what do you plan on doing with all of that? I don't know. Maybe yeah. nothing. Maybe nothing. And I did notice, I did realize that during the process of making the film and when I made, about making the trailer, I kind of exercised the demon. That yeah. was, I was Isn't that kind about. of a pr- purpose yeah. about making art too? Is almost self, like a selfish, mm-hmm. almost experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's not personal, it's not good. Right. It's yeah. Totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So so I kind of exercised the demon. I wasn't angry anymore. That's good. My life was in a different direction anyway. Yeah. I'm very thankful for the experiences and the money I made. Yeah. Um, I have a pension for God's sakes that starts in a few months. <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah. So um, so I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. And I think now, I mean, this was in the '90s I made this. Yeah. So um, and you'll see. I don't think it looks dated. Yeah. But I would have to really rework. A bunch sure. of, and who knows? I mean, I still have the the footage. It's on. It's still in good condition. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't looked at it in a decade. I probably could look at it and go, huh, I wonder. You'll be an empty nester soon. What are you going to do with your time? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> man. That might be a good time to go look Whatever at it. Whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I, mean, I never exciting. got to do what I want for the last two decades almost. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever whatever I want. I think um, if my son moves out in the fall, then, um, yeah, honestly, I, you know what? Check in with me. Yeah, we'll see. I'll have to have you on again and be like, okay, now what's happening? What's You have me on again. People are going to get bored. I mean, they've had so much of me tonight already. Oh, my gosh. I love it, though. It's been great. It has been great. Yeah, it's, it's been, been really, Thank you. Yeah, it's Thank been you, really fun. Yeah. yeah. I love this, too, because we just connected. Um, at Birdhouse. You're right? such an opportunist. You just, as soon as we get to talking, you're like, oh, yeah, come in my show. Yeah, I knew you. I will, because I, like, it was a great conversation. It was meant to be. Yeah, you were very, very, very gracious when I came in. Thank you. Yeah. yeah cause I didn't know where I was. I just was like, hey, I just need some food. Came here before, <laughs> I had a drink. I think the food here is good. So thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, I don't even know what time it is. It's, this has been a late. Oh, it's not that bad. No. <laughs> Considering I got to get up at 6 a.m., not that bad. I know. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Don't Thank sorry. you for squeezing this in last minute. I, I, oh, let me just say this again. Uh, documenting a Reckoning at the Mill City Museum, uh, April 1st through May 14th. Definitely should go see it. Yes. It's a um, very powerful piece. My work is in it, which I'm super honored and, and proud and happy to be a part of it. But you got to see the work from the other photographers. I mean, I'm just a guy, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a National Geographic photographer Some in it. There's stuff. Getty photographers yeah. in it. There's really, I mean, real photojournalists cool. whose work is in this. I think it's an important, um, it's an important exhibit. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I look forward to seeing it as well. And um... my, oh my, this has been such an <laughs> evening. I have enjoyed being here. I've been treated with kindness and grace and appreciation. Um, I've been so blessed to be here uh, for nearly three hours. 
talk about uh, me, me, and me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and But more importantly, to talk about Documenting a Reckoning, uh, please come see it again May 1st, I'm sorry, April 1st through May 14th at the Mill City Museum. Uh, just want to thank you for your time and listening to me and listening to our banter. It's been yeah. fun. So um, hopefully she uh, invites me back to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Waste another three hours of your time. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to do the intro and outro. Who the thunk it? I like this place a lot. Um, it'd be hard getting rid of me. Okay, well, thank you so much. Oh, wait. Did I not have the music on the first time? <laughs> you did. Oh, okay. I just talked through the music.